This is Sammy Rye, host of That Podcast with Sammy Rye, coming to you live with a special episode of my in-depth breakdown of the movie The Founder, starring Michael Keaton. This is not a typical podcast episode. This might be two, three hours in length, maybe longer, as I give you my in-depth breakdown of this movie. Um, This is not a typical podcast, so you're going to hear noises in the background. People might come in and out. This is kind of a watch a movie experience. If you're able to watch the movie with me, I'll tell you when I'm going to hit play, when I'm going to hit pause. I'm going to stop the podcast several times and come back. So if I, you know, you hear me like leave and come back or whatever, because this is going to be over the course of many hours. This is a resource I'm creating. I'm sharing with you a secret weapon, something I use, my medicine, something I need when I'm down and out. I typically watch the movie The Founder. I also watch some other movies, The Pursuit of Happiness, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, Those are my things that for my entrepreneur spirit, I sometimes need to watch. And I also watch other things artistically that sometimes feed me in that aspect. And on part of this series, the first one I wanted to do was The Founder, something I've watched most recently. And I'm telling you, when I need to pick me up this movie for me, um, it goes ahead and it brings me back, right? It gets me up. It lets me remember what it is that I really care about, what I'm searching for. And I want to look at it from an aspect of not just the movie from a piece of art, not from just entertainment, I want to talk about the character in the movie, um, the things that they're doing to help build McDonald's, the business side of that. I have opinions and, and insights onto what's going on in the film that way. I also want to talk about it from an artistic standpoint, how they're conveying the story, what they're going to go ahead and tell you through the screenplay, with the acting, with the directing. And I'm hoping that I'm able to bring to you a perspective that shows you how all these things connect. That's the thing. If you're not interested in business, if you're not interested in art, there are things that happen here that are universal. Um, Also, there's some different stories being told about the social interactions the character is having with other people in the film. That's something that applies to someone. Again, if you're just a regular human being, there's a human story that's also happening here. And this is in all the films, but I believe my what I bring, what Samurai brings, instead of doing an in-depth breakdown of just the screenplay, just the acting, just the, the business or whatever, I'm going to show you how all these things link together. So let's go ahead. We're going to jump in. We're going to watch the founder here. I'm starting it about 23 seconds in, right? The opening credits are coming on. And again, this is going to be loose. So you go ahead and relax if you want to watch. If you want to come back in the future and just jump in and hear little parts of this, I might even break this out into a video series on YouTube where I can make just the highlights of this into chunks. So this is the raw pretty much uncut extended version right of my my in-depth breakdown of the founder in the background you're going to hear the film a little bit some parts of it as i watch it with you live and i want to talk about some of the things that are going on in the film here so this is heavy spoiler alerts obviously if you have not seen the founder um, I know for me, it took me about two years to actually sit down and watch The Founder. I was always interested in it. I love Michael Keaton. Um, but it was a movie that, I, again, I just had, it was one of those things I felt like kind of happened on purpose, right? It, it mattered. When I got to sit down and watch The Founder, it was when I needed to watch it, which I think also you know, created that connection. We all have that with different kinds of art, right? Different times you find art when you need to find it. And this is a movie where... When I sat down and watched it, you know, it's opening. If you're watching it with me or if you've never seen it, it starts off with a close shot of Michael Keaton's face. 
and he's doing a speech, right? It's a great speech, and I can't ruin it. I, don't, I can't put all the, 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 the stuff inside the podcast. You can't hear it here. That wouldn't do it justice because it's locked on his eyes, and it looks like he's talking to you, and you're getting to experience the character of Ray Kroc up close and personal, right? This is what it would be like if this salesman was talking to you, and it seems like he's by himself, and he's practicing the speech, but they're very economic in this movie. They touch a lot of stuff very quickly. So if you're interested in the screenwriting or storytelling, you can learn a lot about how economic this movie is. They don't waste time saying things that don't need to be said. They did, they did basically two scenes with two camera cuts. You're, hit, you're in his face. It looks like he's practicing. You're getting to have that eye contact and that connection with him. And the camera cuts, and you realize he's not by himself. He is actually pitching to a manager of a restaurant. He's trying to get that person to buy something. And it's very comical in that way because the guy's like, no, I don't, want, I don't want what you're selling. And you get to see the struggle of the salesman, right, as he, he's walking out to his car now, and he's bringing this heavy piece of machine back to his car. And this is the life of a salesman during this time period. Um, he's struggling. He's out there working hard, trying to make it. You see he has a craft. He's practicing his speeches, and he's still going out there to do it. And this is one of those movies where the theme is persistence. They're showing you things that he's doing over and over again. They don't work for him. And eventually they break and it cracks. And there's something fun, I think, about the fact that this movie's about McDonald's, right? Because when he starts off, you don't know the movie is necessarily about McDonald's because he's selling these milkshake mixers. It's a machine that can mix a milkshake, eight of them at a time, basically. They hunted the multi-mixer. And, um... You're seeing all these things here where they're talking about the drive-through experience, right? He's going to a drive-through, and the business side of it's coming out now. You're seeing that from a business standpoint, customers at one point had something we all can relate to: bad customers' experiences going to a business that's not really set up great, right? I was talking to a friend about online shopping recently, and there was a time period where people did not like to shop online. But Amazon has made it to the point now where shopping online is very easy, it's very convenient, and it, that's not something that magically happened. It was something that was thought out. It was a problem that was solved. They innovated, and now lots of people shop online. They're very comfortable with it. Some people prefer shopping online more than inside brick-and-mortar stores, right? So this scene is showing you here, if you're watching along. He's at a drive through It's difficult to get service. They're messing up his food order. There's really not a customer service thing here. It's kind of like you're grateful that you have a car place you can pull up to and get food. He's on the road a lot. He needs this stuff. He's also selling the multi-mixers to the people that are in the, the actual establishment. And I'm going to go through the time marks with you guys here. I like to do this when I'm breaking down a movie. So we are four minutes and 30 seconds into this film. The first, like, 30 seconds is logo. So we're four minutes into this film. Already we've seen who he is. He's a salesman. You've seen him already face failure. You've seen him also deal with this other issue when he's going to the drive-thru. They're setting up and explaining to you this is what it's like for the bad customer experience. But you're also feeling bad for the character and seeing him fall down, him having difficulties, right? He can't even get his food order, right? And it's making you feel for the character. So when you're thinking about storytelling, right, when you're trying to express these things, Lots of movies that I see, a mistake I feel like a lot of people make is sometimes they want to have a cool, clever conversation. They want to put a bunch of dialogue that makes the scene seem real, right? Some guy's talking about something that doesn't matter. Hell, look at this, like, this cup in my kitchen. Yeah, man, don't you like when cups are like this or whatever, la, 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 la. And it's not moving the story forward. It's not doing anything. It's just 
they thought it'd be fun to talk about a coffee mug. Maybe they thought it was a kind of a funny joke in a movie that's not really a comedy, right? Something they thought was clever. They'll put it into the screenplay, and in some situations, they'll actually go ahead and make it into the movie. But the founder is a great example of being economic. You're getting so far into this person's life in just four minutes. We're now in a hotel room with him. He's by himself. He's calling home to his wife. Um, and he's trying to explain, you know, he's trying to give her the good story. Like, yeah, everything's going well, honey. And it's tragic because you know it's not going well because you can see it. But he's trying to put on that brave face and instill confidence in her. And the job is a very difficult job. He's, he lives in Illinois, but he travels all over the country trying to sell these multi-mixers in this little car he's driving around in. Um, and it's, it's a difficult scene to watch, right? So we're at four minutes. I'm going to go ahead and hit play again. We're 431. I'm hitting play. He's by himself in this hotel room away from his family. Um, and you don't know yet about this character. That's not, I guess, the most sad thing for him. But when you're watching the movie as a moviegoer, everyone can relate to this scene. Being away from your loved ones, out there trying to make it. These things are difficult, right? Every day you go to work, you're away from your loved ones out there trying to make it, right? You're doing something. So they're trying to help you get an con emotional connection with this character, which later on is going to go two different ways. It's a, It can make you love this character it can make you not love this character later on because you're going to care about him and you're going to have to make a decision about some of the decisions that this character makes and that's a very interesting thing about this film i like this film because it's it's divisive and when you look at the main character and how he goes about what he's doing some people will look at it and think well that's not the nice way to go about it he's very open about like i'm here for business i'm trying to create something it was never created before, and he succeeds, obviously, because we all know what McDonald's is. And that's a really fun thing about the story is that I think we all have stake in it, right? We all kind of know what McDonald's is because it's so big. This story is very interesting in that, in that sense. He's doing something I think a lot of entrepreneurs do right now. He's listening to, like, a motivational tape. And I did some research. This is not a real motivational tape. They made this just for the movie. They are saying some things that are in other motivational tapes, but I don't know if it was copyright reasons. Again, innovating, right? Maybe they said we don't want to pay copyrights for our actual motivational tape. Or from a screenwriting standpoint, maybe they said we have eight lines or ten lines we really need the audience to hear. And we want to write our own motivational tape to tell that in the story. So again, very economic, right? Maybe your real motivational tape that's going to cover all the important things would have been too long for the scene. So they went out, they got someone to record it. It sounds like an old record. They even printed up the actual record. And that all probably costs less than, than paying a real person's uh, the royalty rights to have their motivational thing. Also, it wouldn't fit the scene if the scene was too, if like that tape was too long, basically. So super economic. That whole scene was about 10, 15 seconds. He's back out on the road again. He's loading the multi-mixer into the car again. And he, this is something that they do in a pursuit of happiness, right? Seeing how things connect. That's something that is you can see it visually from a visual storytelling standpoint. You you know what it's like to carry something heavy, right? His whole it's a it's almost like a metaphor for like his whole life, his whole existence. It's it's a burden. He's he's feeling what we feel when things are tough. He's moving around trying to get these things done and it's not working for him, right? So you're about five minutes into the film. He's calling back to his secretary. And he's checking in to see, like, hey, what's going on, right? It's, it seems like it's a boring conversation. Anything going on? Do I have any messages kind of a thing? And this is where he's going to first come in contact with the possibility of something more, right? 
And I like this movie doesn't waste time in getting to this point. It's a two-hour-long movie. It's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. It's a big story to cover. But again, this person's not coming in. These 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 creators aren't coming in here and saying we need to have you know a whole long ten-minute sequence about this. We need to have a big five-minute sequence in the beginning where we like do all this stuff to slowly set it up. We're getting into what? Why does this matter? And I love that. To me, that's that's the YouTube generation of filmmaking. Where if you have five minutes, this person might turn off your movie. We need to hook them. And that's what happened to me when I first saw it. I saw it on a free streaming service. I hit play, and I was instantly grabbed probably about like a minute into the film. I think maybe the opening scene, when you're staring into Michael Keaton's eyes, and you see him doing his sales pitch, it was so engaging. Um, I think already you're, you're getting people. And I think filmmakers don't stop enough to think about how do they create that experience? It's something I feel like has become a lost art form. A lot of guys I see out there are just writing screenplays, just making videos, and they're doing whatever they feel like it. It doesn't seem intentional. And when you're watching The Founder, when you're breaking it down, all you can see how intentional every single thing is. What Michael Keaton's doing, the way he's talking, the way the scenes are cutting, the, the words, it's all intentional, right? So we're here at basically... Nine minutes in, right? And he's getting the first information is someone ordered a bunch of these multi-mixers where he can't usually even sell one. There's a whole bunch of them going on here, right? He's getting an order, I think, of uh, six of them or eight of them or something like that. And he's really surprised. He's thinking, that must be an error. I'll follow up and see. There's no way someone ordered all these. You, the whole first beginning of the movie, you've seen him fail at selling even two of them, right? So he calls the location to see what it is, and they find out that they did actually want the order. And he sees this opportunity, and that's why I always talk about on the podcast, looking for opportunities, looking for reasons to say yes, and jumping in. He, he calls the McDonald's place, and he finds out, yeah, they did actually order them. Um, they don't want eight. They actually want ten, which is – he's thinking, this is, this is crazy. And he decides – I'm just going to drive over to McDonald's, which is in uh, San Bernardino, California, right? So on the map, he's like several states away. He's from Illinois. He's somewhere in the middle of the country, and he decides to head west all the way up to California. Just on this hunch, right? He's just on this feeling. And you see that he's, he's searching, right? He's really looking for something here. And I think that's something that we all experience. And I think that's why, that's why this is such an engaging journey. And you know where he's going, which is such a cool thing about this film. You know he's going to McDonald's if you press play and you're watching this film. And a very cool thing is to happen artistically. We're now, I'm going to switch over to the art here, right? The scene where he first gets to McDonald's is such a beautiful scene artistically, right? Because whether you have different feelings on the commercialism of fast food and all those things... Through the film, you learn, you can't take away from the fact that McDonald's and these kind of things are like a staple of our culture. It's something that the, the country is built on, right? Everywhere you go, there's a McDonald's. It's something that you just know now. And at the time, it, was, it never existed. So when Ray Kroc first goes to McDonald's, he doesn't even understand how to order his food. It had never happened before. He's walking up to the window to order his food. They're handing him the food in a bag and in a cup. Um, it's all disposable. Drive-throughs typically had like plates and silverware, and the the guy who's serving him the food has to explain to him how to eat it, right? And they they're gonna get into this a little bit more later, where it was very difficult when they first started their business because people didn't eat food that way. They didn't go to fast food places. This was a new idea, 
and that was hard for them as a business. They they had difficulties convincing people to do that at first. Um, so when you're doing something sometimes, when your idea doesn't work immediately, this is a perfect example. You're watching the scene from an artistic standpoint. It's so beautiful because you know where this is going. You know McDonald's succeeded. But it's funny to see that at one point, no one even understood the concept of eating food out of a paper bag with a paper wrapper um, and having a disposable cup. That didn't exist and we take that stuff for granted. That now, now everyone does it, right? So when you're looking at your life, no matter what you're doing, if you have an idea that you believe strongly in, that's a little unconventional, a little different, you got to try it. You have to let you have to let that out and see what that could be like. Because you don't know if you have that next innovation that's going to take you to wherever it is that you're trying to go in your life, either, again, socially, business, artistically. It's universal. And these are one of those universal scenes here. You're seeing him sit down, go through this experience, and while he's eating the food, one of the owners, the brothers, the McDonald brothers, one of them are going to walk up to him, present themselves, and he's sitting there enjoying the burger. But once he realizes he's talking to one of the owners of this restaurant, he's so excited. He wants to learn more about this restaurant and talk to this person and pick this person's brain because he's out there selling these multi-mixers. But that's not what he wants, right? We have a lot of that in life where you're doing a job and it's the job you want forever, but it's a job you have. It's something that you're doing, something you're working at, and he's looking. He's listening, right? He's listening to, uh, if you want to get a little mystical, right? He's kind of listening to the universe. He's trying to listen to life. He's trying to look for signs, or he's waiting for his moments so that he knows when to strike. And he drove his car all the way out to California for this opportunity here. And when I'm watching this scene, it's just great. Like, he's looking at this little kid and their family, and they're all sitting down enjoying the food. And they're from the area. This is just one restaurant at this point, so they understand how to eat the food here. But he's from Chicago. He's never heard of McDonald's. No one in the country really has, except people who are local, and they're experiencing this first McDonald's experience. He goes inside the McDonald's, and he's seeing how they make the food, what the system is. They call it the speedy system. And it's this very simple concept, which we kind of take for granted, of fast food. You're getting to see it in this inception, where it pretty much is it's perfect, right? there. It's It had to have been amazing to have, like, fresh fast food for the first time before it became mass-produced and everything. They're in there cooking the burgers. They're doing all the different things. And when the McDonald's brothers, one of the brothers is very um, passionate about quality, um, almost too passionate, right? He's, he's he's looking not only for how to move the customer service experience and make it better, but he's interested in how the food tastes. He even has a, a conversation where he's saying he thinks the fries should be cooked at 375 degrees instead of 400 degrees because he believes that it's, the crispiness is 5% off, right? And it's a movie, so I don't know if that's really what was said or if the person was really like that. But again, it's economic. Very shortly, they're telling you something about that character. That character is very analytical. That character is not impulsive. That character is opposite of our main character, who is impulsive, who's running around trying to do these things, and he's chasing these things. This other character, which is going to play opposite of him, is different, and they're going to challenge each other. And that's very interested in storytelling. When you're trying to tell a story, you want your other characters to 
create conflict, right? You can't be afraid of creating conflict. So they're friends. They start off, or I say they're friendly to each other when they start off, and they're coexisting. But it's interesting to see how they react to each other because they have very different viewpoints on these things. And the third brother is more of a sweet, wholesome kind of guy. So you have three different characters. There's really, so far, the only characters in the movie. And we're about, let me see, I think we're 12 minutes in. We're moving along. We're 16 minutes in, right? So we're we're at basically a point where you start to see he's met the McDonald's brothers. He's there's McDonald's already built, which is very interesting. If you come in thinking this is the founder, that movie's called The Founder. I'm thinking this is the guy who invents McDonald's, but he actually gets to McDonald's and these two other guys inventing McDonald's. So now I'm asking myself, well, what's going on here? How is this going to work? Are they all going to get together? And make McDonald's. I mean, they already made McDonald's. I don't know, right? Um, but it's a very interesting concept that they're going to circle back to later with him being the founder, right? So they tell a really cool story about another kind of business, a movie business they had, where they were basically trying to have a movie theater. That didn't work out so much for them. And then they tried to do like a little restaurant. And they have a lot of little interesting stories here. And I don't know if these pictures are real, but they're showing these old time pictures. And they do some cool effects. And again, very economically, they tell the whole pre-origin, which we didn't get to see, right? Where McDonald's came from, the one that Ray Kroc shows up to. They're going into that and they're breaking down what this whole thing is with some cool images of, you know, back in the day, black and white kind of images of this restaurant being built. And some of them I'm pretty sure are fake. They have like modern actors in it, um, but they're mixing them up probably or maybe they're all fake. But it's showing you how this restaurant basically, you know, got started. And Ray Kroc is super interested because he's out there selling these milkshake things and he's looking for some kind of new thing. And this is something that's very different to him. It's not kind of a typical story. I mean, not typical for any of us, obviously, because McDonald's is a very special one of a kind kind of thing. There's a lot of people out there who are trying to be like McDonald's, but obviously we all recognize that McDonald's is is the top of that situation. It was the first and it blew up so big, and you find out a lot of other interesting things about how McDonald's makes money and what they actually do um, as the film progresses. So one thing I want to point out here in this scene where they're going over the story of McDonald's is one of the McDonald's brothers is actually Dick McDonald, played by Nick Offerman. Um, he's explaining how he observed the business of the fast food industry um, which is basically drive-ins at the time. And he's going through all the problems he sees with a drive-in just as a customer. You know, he's seeing that, like, teens hang out there, so it's not really a family environment because they have, like, cigarettes at the time um, and certain things they're doing there. Um, and, they, they, you know, the overhead from having all the girls doing the roller skating thing, basically. Um, they had too many items on the menu people weren't buying. And what's great about that scene, that's something I do a lot. I think people should try to do this as often as they can. When you're looking at something, you should try to break it down and see all the components as often as you can, at least all the components that you can see, and try to see what is it about this thing that I like or I don't like. One area I could relate that to where you say, well, I'm not interested in you know dine-in or drive-in fast food places. Um, one area I was able to do that with recently during the COVID situation was washing clothes, right? Looking at washing clothes and saying, why is that somehow sometimes have um they call them like like sticky points right like washing clothes like everything else in life you want it to be a smooth optimal experience but some people don't like washing clothes or they don't like folding clothes or putting them away or they don't have a method on how to go about it 
and I was luckily able to find something to work for me, right? So we're talking about art and business, but again, these things are universal. So I'm trying to explain here. Looking at a situation, breaking it down to its core components and removing things or innovating, that's what's universal here. Whether you're doing art, when you're doing business, when you step into something and think this is the way things are done, that's an, that's a good place to start, but you can't lock yourself into just one method. You gotta leave room for innovation. So what we're able to do to relate to just regular common everyday things, when it comes to washing clothes, I have three different examples. So one, we purchased a small, like portable washing machine. Basically, it, you had to put it into a power outlet, but I mean, it's it's small. You can pick it up, move it around with your hands. Um, for about a hundred bucks, and with that, you only can wash maybe like a small load of clothes in it. And I had a tall traditional laundry basket, right? I always hated how heavy a laundry basket is. I used to have to go to the laundry mat and I take like my whole family's laundry. So it's like five different baskets and filling up the whole entire car. Whole big laborious experience. It has to be like a whole night dedicated to transferring the clothes there, washing them all the laundry mat transporting them back to my house and then folding them all, putting them all away. I hated doing laundry, right? Now, um, in a different place, I have my own washer and dryer. That wasn't the case. Still, I don't have to travel, but I still have to lug them clothes up and down, maybe over the course of a few days. I'm like washing clothes, but then I'm like always washing clothes. I'm always drying clothes. There's constantly a clothes situation going on, basically. Um, but with a smaller washer, I was able to innovate and said, you know, I have this big laundry basket and what I'll tend to do is fill it up, right? We see we have an empty space. We want to fill it up, right? And let it pile up. So I looked in in local like a local store. They did have small like one load laundry baskets. I threw away all my laundry baskets that were bigger and everyone had just a small laundry basket. So you have maybe one or two loads that could pile up before your basket's full. You need to wash your clothes, right? And since this one is in our house, it's portable, it's a small one, I said, okay, well, um, now, since it only really could wash one or two loads at a time anyway, now I can wash my clothes. So once I have a little load popped up, I'll go wash and dry my own clothes. Everyone can wash and dry their own clothes, basically. And since the loads are small, as soon as they're done, I hang them out to dry, and then I fold them and put them away. I find that works better for me. I want to do that for the rest of my life. Even when I get a bigger space and I have a washer and dryer, I don't think I'm ever going to want to go back to doing that big wash, right? That's how I innovated in that space. I said, these are the things I don't like. I don't like this big laundry basket. I don't like all the travel. I was able to customize that into something in my life. And I find that also works for organization and other things in your house. Things should be set up to flow with you smooth. That way you don't hate them. It's not a sticky point where you're trying to do something. You always hate this part of the process. Break it down the same way to breaking down in the movie, um, the fast food experience, and find a way that you can innovate. Obviously, for McDonald's, it changed the game. It changed the whole world, right? But for you in your own way, you know, like for me, changing my way I do clothes, when I wash my clothes, that changed my world. I have a friend I know who has some extra money. He says it's not that expensive anyway. Um, but what he likes to do is he'll hire someone. They come out to service. You basically put your dirty clothes in a bag. You, like, put them outside your door. Or they come to some area. They grab your clothes. They take them someplace. They wash them. They fold them. Wrap them all back up nice and neat for you. Bring them back to you. You come home, your clothes are there. You take them and you put them in, um, and you like, uh, you all you gotta do is put them right in the drawer. They're already folded for you, basically, and you pay for that. And he realized that 
he was wasting so much time that it was actually more affordable for him to pay for the service than it was for him to do what he had to do with laundry. I think the area he lived in, it was more optimal for him, basically. And that's what I'm saying there. I know my wife still likes the traditional washer and dryer. She is the kind of person that still enjoys the Saturday afternoon just dedicating it to laundry. But that's three different methods there, right? So when I'm looking at these kind of situations in these movies, I'm trying to find those universal truths that apply to everything. And this is one example where a movie, art, um, and these guys talking about business, if you see the, the universal thing they're doing here is breaking down an uh, established situation and innovating to make it better, that applies to your regular life no matter who you are, right? And those are the universal truths that I'm trying to highlight here. So hopping back into the movie, we're going to keep it going. They're talking about the experience of going to a fast food place and how they kind of always didn't done what I was talking about, right? They kind of always copied other people's ideas. Oh, I'm going to start a car wash. Yeah, car washes make money. Let's go start a car wash. Oh, I want to, you know, open up a business like a movie theater. Yeah, I like movie theaters. Let's go open up movie theater, right? And that's, that's, those aren't bad businesses. It's just you're kind of getting into something that's already going on. What they wanted to do was they wanted to make something that was different. So they started doing some pretty radical things. They get rid of all the food menus from the all the food items from the drive through. They're traditional and they get to just fries, burgers, and sodas. That's all you can get now at McDonald's. You also can get milkshakes. Um, so they're saying that what they wanted to do was they wanted to do something that made them special. They didn't want to be a drive in anymore. They wanted to be their own kind of place. And um and that's scary when you're in a business space and you say, Well, I'm gonna do something that's different. I mean this this podcast episode, I don't know if people do a podcast episode like this, but I was passionate about it and I knew that I would like it. I would like this this tool, right? For me it's a tool to listen to this in depth breakdown of this movie that I like a lot and really look at it from all the different perspectives that I look at it when I'm watching it and record it and share it with people or at least make a record of it for history for anyone in the future who might look back on this. They can see that when I'm out there and I'm doing my life and I'm sitting there saying, man, I need to pick me up or man, I don't, I don't know what to do next. I could throw on the episode of the podcast where I talk about the founder and that's why I'm, I'm making this for you today. But it's different. It's uncharted territory for me. People might hate it. I don't know. But I think I'll like it. And that's what matters. When you're doing something that makes you happy, it, you, you can't really fail, right? Because you're doing something that makes you happy. Every day you should be doing things to make you happy. And this is a great example here. They're, they go out to this tennis court, which is something that I never would have thought of. And they take some chalk on a tennis court and they make a fake kitchen, right? They draw these little boxes. And then they have the staff like role play and practice how they make burgers and where the stations are, where things should go. I mean, think about that for your house, right? You have furniture in your house and it's set up a certain kind of way. Unless you're some kind of interior decorator, you might not be really good at visualizing how else you could arrange your house. But something as simple as getting some chalk and going to a public park where they have a tennis court, you can sit down there and rearrange the measurements for the furniture in your house. That's something that can apply to you in some other kind of way. You might look at how you do stories or other kind of art and say, you know what, my my workspace when I'm drawing isn't set up optimally. Where's the where can I put the pencils at? Where can I put the uh, the books at? The way I don't have clutter or things that, that that stop my creativity. Your workflow is very important, and that's what they're talking about here. But even though they're doing a business, an artist can learn from someone making a restaurant, right? You can learn to see that. It is important to not waste. You know, they're trying to be very efficient here and say, what's the best way 
to do this. And if you look at the situation, I'm sure McDonald's have made changes over the years, but largely the concept is still the same. I have, know they have new machines. They might have a you know slight different layout, but when you go into fast food places, you can see into the kitchen. Most of them seem pretty similar from fast food place to another fast food place. So that shows you that this method is not only working, but it's it's standing the test of time. This is the optimal method. I think about Amazon with online shopping. It is the optimal method, right? They try to get you checked out in two clicks. It's actually a rule. Two to three clicks is what they believe an online transaction should have. They actually did studies that found that if a website needs four or five clicks, it drastically reduces the chances of the person actually going through with the purchase. The, the purchase needs to be faster, basically. And you know Amazon's successful. I don't see a way that you can beat that. I don't think anyone wants to buy something faster than two clicks, right? But they've worked really hard to get to that point, to make a system that stands the test of time. But, you know, with innovation, you are going to have difficulties. You're going to have periods of time that you have to anticipate. It's funny because they're sitting here and they're looking at the the transition right people don't understand they're coming up to the the what they leave is a drive-in where you get food and they're saying no you got to come out walk up to the window and get your food and people aren't liking that it's it's not the way things normally go i think sometimes when you innovate that's a universal truth there when you're doing something different not everyone's always going to see your vision or, or they're not going to feel comfortable necessarily with the transition um, some people may not like it at all. I find that if it's a good idea and more people like it, eventually people will come around. So you can't be offended or upset if people don't initially get what you're trying to do. I mean, we all know this is going to work out. We all use drive-ins, right? In this situation here, they they even innovate again in the future, which is not covered in the film, with the drive-up window, right? They don't have that at this point. But the drive-up window, I think, is, again, another innovation where, you know, driving right up to the window, getting your food, that changes McDonald's even more, right? They don't cover that in this film because they don't have that yet. Um, but it's, it's just so funny seeing all the different things that they try to do that go wrong. They have this, like, grand opening night where they're trying to get everyone to come out to a party, which is, again, a good idea, right? They're trying to make people not be so upset about the transition, and they, they can sit there and mingle and explain to people. Because once the word of mouth gets out on this new idea, everyone will understand how this works. Obviously, we all now know how this works. But this is just one restaurant in a small town in California just trying to change a few people around them, right? How do you change the whole country's way of thinking about how you come get food when you're going out to eat, when you're coming to these kind of establishments? Um and in, from an artistic standpoint, I love the scene here where they show that the little boy comes when they think basically they need, they need to quit this business. It's not going to work. And the little boy comes and gets food. And then the McDonald's brother, he doesn't take the money from the kid, right? Because you really, he's really loving this character. He's he's a sweet heart kind of character. Um, and it's it's a wholesome thing. It's a nice thing about McDonald's. And you see everyone come to the, and they try to come buy the food at this point, and they get it. It's starting to work now. They're starting to understand, and the business is working. And there's a great line where they say, um, yeah, and we were an overnight sensation 30 years in the making. And that's so funny because that's how things happen. Things blow up, but a lot of times you are preparing. You are building your thing before then. So even Ray Kroc's character, who isn't involved with what they're doing, um, this is something that's kind of missed in the film. He's been doing this, I think he's 54 in the film. So he's been 
pursuing these things his whole life. There's a backstory some of his friends and his wife mentioned where he's had other different ideas and businesses he's tried that haven't worked out for him. So the movie kind of, this is again, spoiler, right? If you haven't seen it, um, the movie kind of characterizes the Ray Kroc character as someone who kind of comes in like a vulture and kind of takes McDonald's from the McDonald's brothers in a way based on the different things that he does. Um, and some people I know don't like the character because either, number one, they don't like McDonald's, or number two, they don't like business. They don't like the fact that he isn't doing it in a wholesome, nice way. Um, he's doing it from a methodical business way, and these other guys, the McDonald brothers, they have these different values and things they want to do in business. They aren't, they aren't based on money. They have other intentions, right? So these, all these different ideas come clashing together, which makes a very interesting film. Um, everyone, I think anyone could watch that because it's drama, right? But the Michael Keaton character, Ray Kroc, he, he's been working at, at this also this whole time. So it's not like he hasn't earned anything. He's had a lot of different experiences. He comes with the vision on how to make McDonald's into what McDonald's is today. There is no McDonald's today without Ray Kroc. Someone would say, well, there's no McDonald's without the initial idea from the McDonald's brothers. And that's also true. All three of them need to be there at the beginning of it. They all three are the founder. But without Ray Kroc's character, we may never heard of McDonald's. Maybe someone else eventually would have done it or tried to do it. Um, and they talk about that where other people have did try to steal the idea of McDonald's, but they didn't work out. Um, and Ray Kroc has an idea why he thinks that is. But um, that's that's later on for the film. We'll get back to that later. Right now, Ray Kroc is coming to them. Again, he's taking that that chance. He's going to these business owners. He's a complete outsider. He's only known them for like one day. He's saying, we should turn this into a franchise. So he didn't even work there. But he's taking a gamble on himself. He's sitting there. and He gets a hotel. He stays in town. He comes back, and he's trying to convince them to let him do something, right? He doesn't work there. It's not his job. He this is uh he's trying to create something that doesn't exist. And all this stuff is going on while he has a house at home. He has a a um a, a business that he also runs. He has an office with a secretary. And he's not doing that right now. He's putting that on hold cuz he sees an opportunity here and he's trying his best to convince these guys to let him come in. And he's providing value. He's not saying, "Hey, just give me a job." He's saying, "I can help you." do this other thing that you guys aren't doing and they explain that they've had other guys try and they failed um and they get into kind of why those guys fail later on but in this scene here where they talk about the special mcdonald's they built they built one with uh golden arches i i love the ray Kroc character because he doesn't hesitate he he sees that building they tell him about it and he has this a funny grin on his face michael keaton when he gets in his car and he drives down to Phoenix where they had this special McDonald's they built that has the golden arches, which are the iconic things that we know now. Because um, the original McDonald's building doesn't have that. This is another concept that they had where they put these arches up. And Michael Keaton's character, Ray Kroc, he just gets in the car and he goes, he goes to the location. He looks at it and he just knows, like, I have to have this. I have to be a part of this, basically. Um... And from an artistic standpoint, one thing I like about this is I always love these older movies, how they get all the older cars, and they somehow like make the city look older. It's funny because they're not dressing. They're not dressing the set for the whole city. They just like get some older cars and get everyone else off the block and put some older clothes on the actors, and suddenly this obviously modern city 
looks like it's an older city based on how the camera's kind of close to the camera, uh, the car. And you look at the McDonald's, they somehow black out everything behind it. So you can't even see if there's any other buildings there. I don't even honestly know if that McDonald's is really physically there. Um, but, you know, these are some really good ideas from an artistic standpoint. This movie, I don't believe, had a large budget. They do a lot of economical things from that standpoint where they could have spent a whole bunch of money and did something bigger than that. But they, I think they do their best at keeping the scenes to the actors. It's very focused on what they're doing. They're in a lot of plain locations like an office room, a house. You have these bigger actors. I'm sure money had to go to them. Um, I don't even know. Sometimes these kind of guys do it because the story is so good, and they know it's going to be one of those great chances to really perform. Um, but like even here, when he comes back to his house, there's like an old refrigerator. Um, all these nice little touches that completely transport you into this world where obviously you're not in that time period. But that's amazing how they're able to do that. And I think if you break down the scenes, you look at them, there's not that much stuff that's going on that's that old. I feel like you can go to a flea market or you can go look at like an antique shop, a drift shop. If you're trying to shoot an old scene, you find a few items that lets people know what the time period is and put them in an outfit and just kind of get the other stuff out the shot. You can create this this supposedly really old house, even though the house exists in our current time frame, 2021, right? Um, and and now getting into the social aspect of this, it's his wife is a very interesting character. It's again, I think, a divisive thing. I can see both sides with it. Where he first comes home and he's he's explaining to her, you know, I'm always going to be chasing these things. This is I need I need this. I think this is a good idea. He's really excited about it. She's more practical. She's thinking, hey, like we have our lives, we have a house. This is fine. Why don't we just hang out and kind of enjoy life more? And he can't he can't deal with that. So obviously they were together at some point and they were fine. Oh, there's a spider. Pausing the podcast. And again, thank you for bearing with me in those moments. My family's here. I'm still taking care of my little baby girl. Um, so yeah, I will pause sometimes and have to make sure she has everything that she needs. Now, um, back to the scene. So we're talking about, you know, Ray Kroc's character and his wife. Um, Ethel Croc, right? And it's interesting to me because at one point they had a relationship, obviously. They're, he's 54 in the film. I don't know from the story how long they were together before the film started. But they have a life that they built, right? And he's still chasing this thing. And she kind of feels like we need to retire. And they get into that, right? He, call, he calls these other people the idle rich, these guys that retire, and the kind of people they hang out with. Um, and he's still going, and again, that's another another credit the character doesn't, I don't think, get from people who see it the other way, where he's he's has that persistence, right? When he listens to that motivational t uh, record, um, it talks about persistence. And he's been going at this for a long time. That's definitely a time other people would have quit, but he's still trying to find that idea. And we all know that idea pans out greatly for him when he does eventually find it. But then you see his wife's character, who's the other side of that coin, saying, hey, look, you know, we should relax. We should just kind of just chill. And she's not, at first she kind of seems like a mean character. It's a character that they set up so that you don't root for them too much. But um, I think throughout the film, she has some moments where she is supportive, where she does understand and does come from a place of love with the character. And it's, again, spoiler alert, right? But they don't, they don't stay together. I think that's another thing that's divisive. I mean, it's a true story, so they have to tell you that story. Um, or they decide at least to, you know, examine that part of his life, which is good. Um, but it's something that 
you don't I think some people don't like that, right? They see the guy not stay with the wife. They don't like that part of it. So now we're back. He's left the McDonald's brothers. They don't want to do the expansion. He's going back to the, doing the multi-mixers for a third time. This is artistically. He's loading that multi-mixer into the trunk. It's hard to get it into the trunk, right? It's actually even raining a little bit now. And from an art standpoint, you're seeing that that sadness, right? You just It's just really kind of setting in where you can tell he's so preoccupied. He's thinking about it. He's actually getting frustrated now for the first time in the film. He's slamming his fist on the car. Um, and you're seeing him go through this emotional thing. Looking at it right here in the film, we are at the 33-minute mark, right? Now, now looking for the universal things here, right? If you're not into screenwriting, you don't know. Around the 30-minute mark is typically where people say that's the end of what they consider the first act. So the first act is kind of like the beginning of the story. The second act starts with, I think people like to use the term, like the inciting incident, inciting inciting incident, um, or like when something changes, right? Uh, and I think in this moment here where he's at the back of his car, he's thinking about the whole thing. He's This is when act two of the movie starts. So the, the we went through the whole beginning of it where you're seeing him you know have his backstory you're understanding where mcdonald's came from whatever but nothing really has happened yet to push the story forward into a new direction they're kind of going on a trajectory of yes we come in we meet these characters in their lives and around this 30 minute mark around 30 pages in the screenplay that's when things start to go in a different direction so it's not an exact science it's about 34 minutes in the here in this movie but he decides he's going to go back to the brothers and I guess for this time period, it helps. But he's like, do it for your country, right? He has this whole pitch about how he drove around and he saw that, you know, on top of churches, there's these big, you know, um, his crosses. And and on top of the, of the post office and government buildings, there's these court flags, right? And he's thinking of basically that sign, that McDonald's sign that sometimes you can see from so far away saying, hey, McDonald's is right over here. Um, which is one of the brothers has idea for the arches to make the restaurant stand out. And together he's saying, you know, if we build this place and you have these arches, it will be really different than these other places. And people will know that this is a gathering spot. Everyone, you can see that from far away. You can come over here. And that's a big difference. And we, so we talk about guys who try to steal the basic idea of McDonald's. Um, they do touch on that. They didn't work out, and they're missing the things that Ray Kroc are bringing to the the table. And that's something I think is important to talk about when you think about everyone working together, right? Everyone has a piece, uh, something they bring to a situation. You always can sit there and try to say what person in a team is more important than the other person. But if you're working together, none of this works without everyone doing what they have to do. You You might, if someone has any kind of significant role on the team, or contributed any kind of significant idea. Without that idea, without that piece, you don't know how far you would have got. So him coming in and bringing these innovative ideas, they've already felt like you can't franchise because they've tried it before. He has this whole new thing. You've seen him again, again for a third time, basically, trying to pitch this idea to them. They're really worried about it. They don't know, but they're kind of starting to see what he's saying. And I think they're believing in him. They're believing in his passion and obviously, he's different from the other people he got to. They, they have gotten to try to open up to other restaurants. He's different, and you're going to see more about why he's different, what kind of person he is, because there are other people like him, and they try to show that there's different kinds of people. So the one McDonald's brother 
very analytical. He creates a lot of different things. He's he's a thinker. He has a lot of plans. The other brother is more his heart's open. He wants to try things. And Ray Kroc is for all the archetype he's playing is the businessman. He's all about business. He lives, sleeps, and eats business. He wants this more than anybody else when it comes to the business side of it. And you see these three characters come together. So they're sitting here, and you have this beautiful moment with Michael Keaton's waiting outside for the decision. You've had that, right? The job interview, the time that you ask someone yes, that moment, and the camera's just sitting there, and his wind, the tide's blowing in the wind, and he's just waiting, and you don't know what's going to happen. They sit on that for about maybe 10 seconds, I think, and then they cut to them sitting down and looking at the contract. He's not worried about it. He's kind of reading through the contract, but he's not too worried about it. He's like, let's get going. Um, I know what I'm going to do. Um, and the brothers are happy that they have him in a contract. It seems like the other people that they did business with before, they didn't have it in a contract. So that's a really the contract's a really important part of this film and in part, I guess an important part of the McDonald's story. So he goes ahead and he does this thing, and now he goes from having his own business, which he still keeps on the side, um, to stepping in and being the head of franchising. So he's just an employee at this point. And he only gets like a one point one and a half percent, um, like revenue for all the franchises he sets up, which ends up not really being a lot of money based on all the things that he's doing. And here's a tough scene where he goes back to a bank, and he's bringing a presentation, trying to get a loan to help start his aspect, his part of the business. He's going to have one restaurant he wants to run. And then he wants to be able to be franchised. And the bank person remembers him from other bad ideas, right? He's come in there before trying to get money for this, like, folding nook, which is, like, basically a sofa bed inside of your nook, inside your kitchen. So you have a bed in your kitchen. Um, that's my understanding of it, at least. And he's kind of laughing at him. Like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that comes in here with different, like, crazy ideas. Um, and he dismisses McDonald's, right? And there's a few different bankers he goes to. He goes to all the bankers he's ever basically tried to pitch ideas to. No one wants to give him a loan. So I love that he faces all these situations where the character gets to be persistent. Yeah, baby. So, yeah, he's sitting down with the bankers. And, you know, you have that happen to you in life a lot. You have ideas and things that you do. And people remember your failures. And they like to bring them up very casually. And it's a shame because he obviously has tried lots of different things. He's had different levels of success. He has a house. He has a car. He has a business and things like that. He has some standard things. And he's just reaching for more, right? So these guys that are approving his loans or whatever, it's a great how they're showing you that he has to be persistent because even after those failures, he's now dealing with he has a new idea. He has a new thing he wants to do with McDonald's. But still, people are doubting him. And even though you just seen him sign the contract, you think he's about to make it, it's not necessarily done yet. There's still more things to go through. And I think a lot of times we think that we're always working towards a goal. And once you get to that goal, then it's like easy street, where it's not. I think the truth about life is you're going to have to deal with a lot of things. There's always going to be constant struggle about different things. I even think when you retire and you think you're not working anymore— what I commonly see is people have to struggle with their health, right? Different challenges that deal with health-wise. So I don't think you ever get to a point in life where you can truly just not do anything and be relaxed. There's always something you're going to have to do. I like here, too, this is a hard scene to watch. But now he's finally at the point at the bank where he decides to basically mortgage out his home. He's gambling his home because um, he needs the money to start his, his business. 
And if you've ever been there, not everybody's into business, not everybody's into entrepreneurship. But I understand. I was bankrupt, I think, at 21. I took out a bunch of credit cards to get myself, get myself the equipment I needed for a music studio, for a music business I was working on. And I believed in it wholeheartedly at the time. I didn't know enough to make that actually work the way I wanted to make it work. Um, but we had a lot of learning experiences from it. A lot of good things came out of it. But I remember people telling me, man, you shouldn't do that. And I'm 36 now. And I can tell you, looking back, it, it didn't affect my life really in any kind of way. It was a great opportunity, something I got to experience at a young age. I filed for bankruptcy a few years later, got my credit now back to a decent place. And by the end of this year, my credit should be great. But I've never really needed credit. I just buy things in cash. Um, and now, moving forward, I will use credit in the later part of my life. And that's why I'm rebuilding it now. So it was something that I gambled, and I think I got a lot out of it. But then people will bring that up as if it was some kind of a loss. So I think you watch this story again, it's inspirational to me. I think it can be inspirational to a lot of people. If you ever have those losses, remember that people are going to remind you of those losses. They're going to stick out. They might you know, laugh or talk about you. But you got to keep going. You got to be persistent. If you have different things that you're passionate about, you got to keep following those things to what you're eventually going to get. He's in a situation now where even after the bank situation and the mortgage situation, He's having problems with the brothers not approving his other ideas. This is another thing. So economic, this movie is showing you so quickly, back to back to back. No scene is wasted. It all has a point. You know, sometimes when you're working with people, you have very clear same, same visions, right? Sometimes you don't. And with the McDonald brothers, every time he's trying to innovate from a business standpoint, they have their values, which is quality and certain things they want to do, a certain pace, they're comfortable moving at. They don't want to move fast. Ray's a very fast person, very impulsive. When he feels something, he's just chasing it, right? Um, and you see these kind, of, these these personalities clashing, right? So in the middle of the movie, when he's you're thinking every time he's about to just start running to the races, there's another something he has to to deal with. And I believe, excuse me, I believe that the theme of the movie is that it is the persistence that they they show you early on in the movie. Um, it has a really good tempo from an artistic standpoint, showing you as the thing gets going, then something's going on that's not going. It gets going, something's going, not going. And he kind of struggles the whole way until there's finally that moment where it breaks through and then he's completely in control. Um, and even at that point, honestly, I feel like the movie still has some other struggling things going on because other things start falling apart. Or maybe that's just the end of how his story goes. So that's just life. But definitely throughout the most of the movie, we're already 35 minutes in. It's just, it's just persistence has to be constantly the theme. Um, he's out here now looking at uh, his first site. And you see he's getting his hands dirty. He's actually on the construction site. He's working with the guys trying to figure out the thing. Um, and he wrote a letter back to the McDonald's brothers. And he had an idea to advertise with Coca-Cola and um, have a little logo on their menus. And the McDonald's brothers had an issue with that. They thought that that was like... It was crash commercialism is what they called it. And he's thinking, yeah, like it's his, you know, extra money with nothing else besides putting a logo on the menu. And even that he had to fight with them about. So when when the McDonald brothers end up losing at the end, that's, again, another divisive part. People feel for the McDonald's brothers. They created something. They had an idea. Um, me personally, when I'm looking at that story, I understand that, you know, this was going to go one way or the other. Eventually, someone's going to crack this nut. Someone's going to figure this thing out. And they they had a good idea, but that's as far as they were going to go with it. It's better off now with this other person 
who is going to make it into what we all know and love, right? If you if you're in fast food, at least. Um, we obviously the world. I think overall we can understand. Even if you disagree with McDonald's, you don't like it. You understand that it's successful and people go there, right? It's a lot of people like going to McDonald's still. So, in this situation, you know, when you're looking at the brothers, raised out here trying to do a lot of these things, and these other guys are kind of just staying in one place. And again, it's it's innovation. It's just the nature of the world. You can't do anything in life and just do it one way forever. At some point, someone's going to surpass you or something's going to change and you're not going to be ready to change with it. That's just the way things go, you know? And I think when you, you, I can understand feeling sorry for the McDonald brothers in this situation because you kind of would want them to still also get more. They get a lot by the time the movie's over, but they didn't get everything they could get. But I would argue that that wasn't for them, right? They, they show you, like, towards the end, like, their stats. Like, oh, if they would have got all their royalties, they would be getting $100 million a year right now. But they weren't doing $100 million a year of business. They were just making cheeseburgers at one restaurant in California. So, you know, we're thinking, yes, their idea is worth that forever. Mm, I guess, you know, that's how royalties work. But in this situation, that wasn't the deal that they got. They didn't accept that deal. And things went the way that it went because Ray Kroc understood what he needed to do from a business standpoint. So obviously I like the movie, so I root for I'm on the Ray Kroc team. Not saying everything he does is what you should do, um, but you know I'm not here to judge. I'm here understanding the story, and I'm looking for things that I can take away. Like I said, this movie's medicine to me. So when I'm down and out, I can put this movie on. I take things from the story. It helps motivate me. It helps get me refocused because I love seeing his persistence being acted out. I love seeing him trying to innovate, him reacting to different difficulties. It's a great, again, fast economic movie that kind of encapsulates, I think, that human experience of entrepreneurship. And it's a shame because he's coming home now in this scene. He's seeing his wife. And it had to be hard. I mean, I can't picture anyone living this life. There's lots of salesmen in the movies, guys on the road with their families and stuff. I know I couldn't do that. That's something I've always struggled with. Um, so seeing him trying to talk to her and be nice and, you know, he's saying he's apologizing for being so distant. Um, it's a shame, though, because I don't know in that scene how authentic he is, because the very next thing they do is they go hang out with the friends. Right. Or they're 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 common friends. That they hang out with at this country club. And when he gets there, they, these guys all have some sort of money. So at some point he tries to pitch them on the new deal. And I think his wife realizes, like, you kind of brought me out here not being necessarily nice but also because you had an idea that you'd pitch them on this new deal because you're trying to find this extra money. Um, and she gets a little upset at first, but then there's a great moment where she kind of su supports him and backs him when everyone else is kind of making fun of him. Um, so, again, that's, again, a reason when he doesn't stay with her at the end of the film, I think is another reason why people go the opposite direction on this character. And I'm not here to always talk about, you know, like I said, that real person, that real story. I'm looking at the movie, and I'm taking something from it, that I help, that, I, that feeds me, right? I'm not taking the whole movie and saying I agree with everything that happens in the movie. I just like the parts that stick out to me, that help me um, do what I need to do. So that's, again, I'm trying to tell people when you're looking at these things, look for the universal truths, looking for the things that you can relate to and how it works for you. That's how the movie can be useful, and that's how art can become something that you can actually use. I feel like it's more tangible that way when you have a reason that, you, that you're into something or you love something. Now you're seeing him go around, and he's basically pitching to anyone that'll listen. He's trying to convince these different guys with money to invest. 
That's something I think people miss a lot in business, even with screenwriting or any kind of art you're doing. If you're talking to people who don't have money, they can't get involved. I'm going to pause the movie here and get on this point a little bit here. We're around 48 minutes in if you're watching along. But, you know, it's you don't realize that. You think you can walk up to anybody and they're going to hand you whatever money you're looking for. But some people don't have money. And some people in certain areas have less money to spend on things or invest in things. It is so important to find your clientele. I remember when I did the Kickstarter project. You know, we raised $11,000. The bulk of that came from three people, three wholesale orders made up. I mean, definitely... If I'm thinking back, I'm, I'm on top of my head, I feel like they did at least $7,000 was wholesale. And the last 4000 I think, might have been like individual people buying just a few cards, uh, a few playing cards for our, our Kickstarter project we did. Um, and that was crazy to see those giant orders, right? And I know those guys took those decks. I can't remember how much were in the orders now, but I know they flipped that and they made a few thousand dollars off of it. So it was nothing to them. Um it was something, but it wasn't. It wasn't like they were. They were making out great on their their wholesale deal that they were getting. My point is, is that you know when you're looking at that situation, basically, servicing those three customers where it was the top of our priority because they made up so much of our business. A lot of times people don't realize that when you're looking to to do business, and let's say you're making a craft, you might think, oh, I need to make one craft and sell it for one price, and that's how I make income. Um, but there's lots of examples where you can find a place where they need 100 crafts, right? And they will pay you some giant bulk order. Instead of you having to hustle for every single craft, perhaps you would prefer making a bunch of what you make and selling it to someone wholesale, right? Or someone selling it to someone that, that has a need for a large-scale thing like that. So you have to go seek out bigger businesses or bigger corporations even that for some reason might sit down, listen to you, and take your idea. You have to innovate and go a different kind of way because he's going to golf clubs. He's going to different restaurants. Every person he sees that he thinks has some money, he's trying to pitch them the idea of them franchising into McDonald's. And this is like, you know, constantly a thing that he's doing. He gets a lot of no's, but also you can see that he's still going out there, still trying to do it no matter what. Um, and that's an important thing. You got to understand that you're going to get lots of no's and you have to go around people that can actually help you and do things with you. Um, if you're going to people who have no money, if you're selling something, they, they can't purchase your product. And, and pressuring them, you know, using those tactics, like um, I feel like sometimes they do that with like the guys that like sell knives. I think it's like the companies like Cutco or whatever. They kind of try to pressure you into buying stuff, uh, doing that kind of like sleazy salesman thing. And I think that's never the right way to go. It's always best to, to miss out on that sale and find someone that you're providing value to and then sell them those knives, someone who really needs those knives. That's going to keep that person coming back for more. I think that's the better way to approach business. It might not be the fastest way to get money, but I think over long term, you're going to build more important relationships. Popping back in here, there's, there's another important scene I think people miss in this film where, again, this is where I think it becomes divisive. You know, the McDonald brothers are talking about, you know, you have um, the one brother who is saying, hey, you know, this Ray is out there making all these deals happen. Aren't we kind of expanding so fast? How is he going to be able to, you know, enforce quality control if he's opening all these locations? He can't be everywhere at once. And the other brother is like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. That's a big fault in the film for those two characters that people don't observe enough. They're making bad choices. They're making, you know, the one brother is too, too trusting. 
the other brother is too too analytical, right? But the, even the analytical brother, I say in this situation, he's right. He knows that if this is this goes out of his control. The Ray's going to become a monster. They can't control, and they're going to lose to him. They're going to lose their whole business. He has a feeling that's happening, but his other brother just wants them to be successful, and he's being kind of naive to what's happening there, and that's why they fail, right? They're making bad choices. There's there's a clear moment where they could stop this and cut this off, but they let Ray go on for so long, and they're so focused on their one thing. By the time he comes back to crush them, they have no idea what's going on. And that's like classic, you know, like Sun Tzu art of war kind of strategy there. Um, and they, they just weren't prepared for any of that kind of stuff. I'm going to go ahead and hit play. We're 50 minutes into the film. And we're seeing now, the right, right next scene, again, very economic, very artistic when they're controlling the film. They jump right over. So the very next scene, he's pulling up to an extra McDonald's they had just built. And people are putting, you know, weird ingredients on the food. They're not doing what you expect from a franchise, right? And that's something I hate when I go into a store that is a franchise. If for some reason it has a weird layout or something like that, or they're not really doing it all together. Once you do get familiar with a brand and it has that familiarity, you don't want to go into a place and have things that are odd there unless they're, they're vast improvements. They're usually not. It's usually just someone not really, you know, sticking to the script and doing whatever they wanted to do. And this is funny. He's going to go talk to the other owners. And this is where you're starting to see what makes Ray Kroc special, right? He He's he's butting heads with these other business guys who are doing, they don't really care about what happens at the business. You see this in a lot of areas. You see this in art. You see this in business. You see this in your social relationships, right? Where there are people who are in it, but they don't clearly care. They're there for different reasons. And they say very plainly, we're not here to run a business. We just want to make some money. We're retired. We don't care. You thought it, we said you'd be a good investment. They don't want to be Ray. Ray is still in it. He's still racing and hustling. Maybe those guys used to race and hustle, but they're happy to be where they are and they're done. And Ray is still going, right? So he decides that, you know, he is kind of a more working class salesman kind of guy. He's not um this like big you know, fancy, or I like the term he uses, the idle rich, right? These guys who are just going to play golf and sitting around, not really doing much. Uh, he ends up canceling his membership to that place. He's like, yeah, I'm not going there anymore. He starts going to places that he thinks there's going to be some, like, working class money. So, like, ex-military places where retired people might have some money. Um, he goes to, like, a, there's a whole scene where he's, like, like a bar mitzvah of some sort, um, which probably goes into the idea that, I guess, Jewish people have a lot of money or something like that. Um, he's um excuse me. He's trying to um he doesn't even put on his fancy suit to go out right, but he wants to go around where he thinks his people, people who understand hard work and then success right. So that's what he starts to do to find out how to you know get his whole business together. And I think that's when he's starting to realize what he is. He's not just going from being a salesman. He's becoming the ironclad businessman. And from an art standpoint. That's what your character has to do, right? He, he has to become the quote-unquote hero in a way, if you think about it that way. And his idea is to become the, you know, arguably, at least in the film's world, the greatest businessman that ever lived, basically. Um, and he's doing that by, he's now he's recruiting an army, right? He sees another salesman, and he just realized that guy, he understands hard work. That guy would appreciate opportunity. I'm going to go and get that guy and see if he has any money to invest and we'll use that to build another location and keep going and keep going. 
he starts shifting his mindset. So again, he's innovating when he sees these opportunities and he's also discovering himself and having confidence in what he's doing. Yeah, so when he meets the 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 Bible salesman, right? Um, you know, he states in the end right there, like, oh, like, what's a Jewish guy doing selling um, Bibles? And he, when he tells him what his last name is, he gives that kind of idea, like, maybe you might have money to invest to open a location. And the guy does. And he opens a location, and he gets to see him working. And it's the first person outside of Ray Kroc that's like Ray Kroc. He's walking around. He's, you know, he's interested in hard work. He wants things to be good. He wants to make money off of it. And now Ray has, you know, one other person, right? So he has a lot of people he goes through who don't really get it. Um, the other investors, they don't really care. But then he realizes that, you know, his clientele is different, right? People he's looking for is different. And he just innovates again. So instead of, you know, sometimes you don't know who you, your clientele is. If you run into a problem with them, you say, well, I don't want to do business this way. There might be another kind of clientele, and that's what he ends up doing. I, I mean, to relate to that, I remember that when I used to drive Lyft, I realized it was a different thing to drive Lyft in the city than it was to drive Lyft in the suburbs. Um, and some days I would like to drive Lyft in the suburbs. You don't make as much money, but it's more relaxed day of work. And other days I would go into the city where I was more awake and I felt like being more ferocious. Um, it was a different way to go about it. Both ways you can make money, maybe a little differently, but sometimes you have to go where you're more comfortable. And for him, it wasn't working for him anymore. Even those other guys had more money at their disposal, they didn't have the work ethic that he enjoyed. So he had to, again, change where that money was coming from. Yeah, and I like this part too, like because then he goes and he finds a soldier, right? Another person you can picture is a hard worker, right? Someone who would have had money from the military service and now is is not against the idea of still working hard, right? And I think this when you come to talking about value, he's providing value for these people. They want to work hard. They don't mind working hard. And that's where you get a harmonious relationship where it's mutually beneficial. They're getting a new business. He's, present, he's bringing it to them. It does work. It's not like a sleazy um, stealing kind of thing. He's bringing something that they want. They want to make money and they want to work. Um, and then he's more than happy to work with them. So he finds his, his exact demographic that he's looking for. And he's just off to the races at that point. So around here, we're at the 57-minute mark, basically. Um, that's what he's doing for these next few scenes. He's just going around. You're seeing all the different kinds of groups he approached. Um, and I think from looking at it, these are groups that are stereotypical. We think have money. I think there's Freemasons he might also be meeting with. Um, but, yeah, he's going to places where he thinks these are the other kind of guys that are active and they're doing things, but they also have enough money maybe to open up one of these restaurants. And I think by the time he's done this whole part of the movie, I think he has about 16 locations that uh, he's opened across the country. And, you know, he's going in, in that direction is to keep making more stuff. And you're really seeing him become who he is, but, you know, it's not going to be the last hurdle or the last thing he has to be persistent about. So right around here, I'm going to take a brief pause for the podcast. Um, this is about halfway into the movie, about an hour left. And we're going to join for a second part of this and go through pretty much everything that happens for the rest of Act 2 into Act 3. So this is great here. So we're at about 59 minutes, 15 seconds into the film. And the McDonald's brothers, they get a letter uh, that shows that Ray Kroc's character started calling his McDonald's store McDonald's number one, right? So it was like the the, the Displains store. Displains is like a place, and I believe in um, Arizona. 
Um, so he starts calling it McDonald's number one. And there's a theme of this throughout the film where there's going to be another point. So now, I guess we didn't say theme. I guess we're seeing an example of his strategy that um, he, he learns how to or he realizes how to make things look. And that's something that's very important sometimes in business. Like, I remember there was one book I was reading where they were basically showing different people who had successfully had made it. And one of the strategies one of the people had used, basically one of the strategies that people had explained in the book was um, this guy had a, let's say he had a, a business where he was selling records, right? It might have been a record label book I was reading. And he wanted his business to appear as if it was a bigger business. Because one of the 48 laws of power is, you know, um, or you know what, actually it might not be the 48 laws of power, but one of the things where uh, a common business practice, let's call it that way, is people don't want to help a business that is failing. People don't want to help a business that is struggling. When you tell someone, oh, I have a business that's struggling and, you know, I really need your help, it sounds like a burden, right? It's like, oh, man, I got to take on this thing. This other person made this thing. Now I got to take on this thing that's struggling. That's not that's not fun, right? Um, it's not something that people usually want to get in unless they have, like, maybe lots of resources or, like, that's what they do. They're, like, uh, they save businesses for a living. Um, I think that might be a thing. I don't know if that's angel investors, if angel investors really do that. Um, anyway, it doesn't really matter. But my point is, is that, that's not the, the best way to lead in with a business. And you don't necessarily want to lie and trick people into helping your struggling business. That's not really the case. Well, really what it is is just presenting what you're doing with the positives, right? Everything has some issues or some some downside to it, sure. But when you're trying to sell or present someone, try to get them into what it is that you're doing, you don't want to put whatever it is you're doing forth as if it's this horrible thing or this bad thing. So it's about perception. It's about framing what you're doing. And you might say, oh, that's lying or whatever. But Ray Kroc's character explains that when you're doing business, it's not a game of virtue. It's not a game of trying to be the most nicest, most wholesome person, which is what one of the McDonald brothers, Mac McDonald, that's kind of what his problem is. Is He's just such a nice guy. Um, he's not a bad guy. He's just super, super nice. Everything he does is from a nice standpoint. And over the course of time, his businesses have problems that he can't deal with because he likes to be more nice than to be successful with his business. And that's, that's problems, right? Because when you have a business, it's math. You have to be successful. You have to make these things work. Money needs to come in. You got to pay the bills. It's, it's just math at the end of the day. Um, there's no point where the bill doesn't, is, is um, going to forgive you, right, because you're nice. So when he decides to name his store McDonald's Number 1, you know, he's doing all this work. He's out here promoting this stuff. And, you know, stores just have numbers sometimes or whatever. And it just makes people now think that he has the first McDonald's, which he doesn't have the first McDonald's. He has, I guess, technically the second McDonald's because the other ones didn't really do that well. Um and is but you like you could go to him. He could say like, "Oh yeah, like I'm like the number one store. You guys are the number zero store, or whatever." Or he could say, "Oh, you guys are like McDonald's, San Bernardino, and we we wanted to be McDonald's number one. We thought that sounded cool, right?" And so he, the McDonald's brothers are mad, and they kind of see what he's doing. But he's operating in that space where he's like, "Yeah, but you can't really get me on that." Um, and I think that's something that you see him do. We're going to talk about that a few more times in the film. So to circle back to the story about the the, the the record label book, basically, 
the guy didn't want his business to seem small. So what his tactic, what he used was he had a phone number for his business, which was the phone number to his apartment. He had like a one bedroom apartment and he had created on paper like three or four employees or whatever and gave them different names. And in his head, they had different voices. So if you called his number, um, he, he would pick up the phone always as like a receptionist and he would use a receptionist name and voice. And then if you wanted to speak to him or someone else there, he would like put you on hold and then he would come back with the other voice. And especially this time period, right? Like if you're calling someone, you don't know who they are. You don't know the difference. You don't know the voices. And if you're calling and you're not really expecting this kind of a thing, you may not realize it's going on. And it's going to give the person a good feeling because they think, oh, I'm calling like a business that has all these people. And this person is working really hard, right? Again, it's not a scam. They are building a business. So eventually he would turn that into a company where he then had more real employees working with him. But his whole point was that at the time, that was a more rare thing. For people working with these small businesses, there were record labels, and he presented one by, by creating these, these characters that he had in his office. Um, and I've seen those tactics used after that. I've seen it in other places, and it always works. It always works in a way, too, because it's not like a scammy thing. You know, It's a thing where someone is trying to build a business and present themselves in a successful way. And it's all about framing and perception. So whatever it is that you're doing, even in your in your house, I always talk about this with my family. You know, sometimes you get used to habits and you get used to seeing people do certain things. And you want to restructure the narrative of the things that you're doing. Like sometimes you get a, a reputation. And my company I work for, they, they call it a, a brand, right? That's a, a common popular t- corporate term. You got to protect your brand, right? And if you get a reputation by doing one thing, everyone thinks that you always do that one thing, and you say, okay, I'm going to honestly stop doing that one thing, or I'm going to start doing a new thing, I'm trying to you know, put out a new, a new energy into the office, right? So my, my brand has changed. Sometimes people don't realize the thing that you're doing. So if you can, without seeming, without drawing too much attention to yourself and being obvious about what it is you're doing, you should mention the new things that you're doing more often. You should mention how these things have changed in casual conversation or whenever you can. And it will help shift the perception of people that now you don't do that old thing anymore. Now you do that new thing. You're the person that's all about that new thing. Um, so you're already, you're already doing the work. You are really doing it. But then you're also trying to make sure people understand that it's changed by helping them. You're helping them see that there's a, a different change by putting the words out there, right? And the same thing marketing and advertisement does, right? When a business is making a shift, they put a lot of money into trying to tell the public they made that shift because not everyone's aware of it. So that's a big segue. Let's keep going with the movie. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, the entire time, the McDonald brothers don't counter. They just keep on doing what they're doing. And that's something, too. When you see people are doing things, another game I see people play is they're like, oh, I'm going to take the high road and not react. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that makes sense if what you're doing is going to help you be successful in your business. But if you see that someone else has a good idea and you're, they're working in your space and they're you know, out thinking you or something like that, you have to react. You have to counter, do something else, or at least meet them where they're at. You don't want to end up completely behind whatever it is that they're doing. That doesn't mean that you chase every single thing that every other person does. That's not what I'm saying to you. But that's a good idea to have a store called McDonald's number one. They could have made him rename the store probably. They, they are in charge of the franchise. Um, if they had that ability, I'm not sure w- w- what they had in their contracts. 
But uh, maybe they could have renamed their store something else, right? But the thing is, they're simply just not interested in being this big global franchise thing. So they're they're in a game with someone that is playing for something else that they're not interested in playing for. And I think that's important, too. When we talk a lot about art and business, you know, if you like art and you're not interested in really going after all the business stuff, that's fine. If that's what makes you happy, then be happy about that. A big problem I see in this film with those characters is the McDonald brothers are not happy with all the things that happen outside of what they're doing with the name and the idea, these concepts that aren't actually really bothering them in any kind of way. You know, at the end of the film, this is, again, a spoiler, right? We're, we're getting into spoilers here. When they lose the business or when they sell to him, you know, they both get a million dollars in their lifetime, right? It gets paid right out to them from the investors. They still get to keep their restaurant, which doesn't do that well because Ray Kroc opens a McDonald's across the street from him, which was, was going to happen to all the other restaurants in the world, right? And they they end up seemingly from the story end up upset because they didn't make hundreds of millions of dollars off of this idea. But the characters never wanted that. They never wanted that sort of success. So when you look at it, you say, oh, that's messed up. But it's like they, they did nothing to earn $100 million. They didn't even want $100 million. They just wanted to have a really good restaurant. And they did that. They did that in their time, and they helped create the biggest restaurant chain probably in the world. I don't think there's a way you can dispute that when you're looking at McDonald's. So, you know, again, I think that, you know, I'm always with Ray Kroc in the story. I don't believe that everything he did was the nicest thing to do. I'm not saying that I would do everything that he did. However, I do believe that, you know, he played and he worked hard for what he wanted. And everyone, I think, kind of won. But a lot of times, people who will see this story, um, they, don't, they don't like the Ray Kroc story so much because they feel bad for the McDonald brothers. And everything's well acted and executed from an artistic standpoint in this film. So I think all the actors are doing a great job. And this is an interesting scene. They're going out to, or Ray Kroc's going out to another restaurant. He meets a successful business owner who has like a, a really nice high-class restaurant, it would seem, right? But this person wants to get in the McDonald's business. He wants to make more money. So it's interesting because the whole film up to this point, Ray has gone places and people have kind of laughed at him. They've kind of known he's not that successful. Um, but at this point, he has about 16 different restaurants he's helped open because he's the head of franchising. He don't own those restaurants. He's only getting, I think, 1.5% of um, commission off of, or I guess you would say like uh, a return, basically, on all of the restaurants' money that they're making. But he's still going out and doing these things, and everyone's looking at him like he's the face of McDonald's because the McDonald brothers, again, are not doing anything at all to present themselves to the public or to any people in the business as if they're the guys, right? So he's out here, and he meets this guy. And this guy wants to get Ray Kroc to like him now. He wants him to help him open up a McDonald's. He wants to get in business with him and set up a franchise, basically. And it's a very funny scene because Ray finally gets to change the dynamic. Instead of trying to convince people to like him, he's actually kind of almost making fun of the other guy and being very casual. He's kind of flirting with his wife here, which he doesn't realize at first is, is actually his wife he, when he starts to like her. Um, but yeah, you can, you can see that he feels like he is now in a position of power because he is, right? He's, he's helping build a bigger restaurant and this other person, by getting in with him now at this stage is going to be a good thing for that business owner. So he wants to, you know, get involved at this point. And the, the power has shifted. 
that's a shame that for the Ray Kroc character, he doesn't continue to have, I guess you would say that, that humbleness or that like that appreciation. I think that's where he messes up for his character. He loses appreciation for what he, you know, what it was like to be the guy on the bottom. When he's not the guy on the bottom, he starts stepping on people below him. And that's difficult for at least the character. I don't know these real people in real life, right? I'm talking about the character in the movie. That's the thing where you have to be careful. When I think when when appreciation is going to take you further, I would think that the McDonald's brand and all those things, if they if it portrayed more of, a, of appreciation for the people, I think that would have helped that brand. There's lots of big businesses outside of McDonald's that aren't so interested, or at least don't don't seem to put out enough good energy into helping people. I've seen McDonald's make a lot of pivots over the years. Again, through marketing, right? They're trying to help change the perspective of McDonald's. Um, and then maybe that's a good thing. I can see a future where McDonald's is looked at as a better company, as a company that is giving more healthier foods, as a company that cares more about people that are going to their restaurants. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying that you know, being such a large business and trying to shift the perspective of the whole world is obviously like moving a mountain, right? Probably even harder than moving a mountain. It's just such a difficult thing to convince the minds of all these people that your business is you know, interested in health and all these other things. So, you know, that's one thing for them to deal with. But in the story, I think Ray Kroc loses that appreciation that he could have for people. And one might argue that, you know, money just made him more of who he already was. So I don't know from the story back in the beginning if he was ever a person that really appreciated those things. I think his whole ambition has always been he wanted more and he was working hard because he wanted more. He wanted to be given an opportunity because he wanted more. Um, but once he started getting that, it wasn't really a thing where he appreciated it, you know. And it, he's 54 in the film. Michael Keaton's character does a great job portraying how happy he is that now he has power. Because he's getting kicked around for I mean, over an hour in the film, right? He's already been living all this life where he's been down. So he comes home to his wife in the next scene. And again, I feel bad for the wife character because she's really nice. She found this other couple that she thinks can invest to open up a restaurant. And she's trying to participate while, while Ray is growing, gone, right? And he comes home, and he's like, yeah, I don't care that those people want to open up a McDonald's. I'm not going to go try to convince them to open up McDonald's. Things have changed. They're chasing me now. That's the, that's the line he has. And he's so excited. And she's confused because she's not that kind of guy, or she's not that kind of person, I should say. Uh, she's just not that kind of person that's thinking about business in this kind of way. And you see that a lot with, with other people around Ray Kroc's character is they, they're trying to help in some situations and they they're, they understand what's going on, but they're not looking at the big picture like he is. And he's very excited in this, this big breakthrough for him. So she tries to understand and jump on board and support, but Ray is going down a dark path at this point when it comes to socially. He's going to end up damaging lots of relationships and building a reputation for himself. But he completely leans in. He goes completely savage mode when it comes to that kind of stuff. And um, there's some things that are nice that he does that the film doesn't highlight too much. Like he has a secretary the whole film that's working for him or a receptionist or whatever. She ends up really kind of being like an assistant. So at the end of the film, um, he doesn't like throw her away. She ends up becoming a, a big part of McDonald's as a whole. Um, there's a little end credit scene where they explain she's like the first woman that was ever allowed to um, you know, sell stocks on like the New York Stock Exchange. Um, that which is a great thing. That's a that's a really cool thing that he d didn't just say oh, I'm done with you and I'm gonna go hire someone else. He 
appreciates the fact that she was loyal to his business, basically. Um, and that's something that you do see him do. So kind of what the story really is, is he had people with him at the time, which weren't the people he really should have been with, right? Even the McDonald brothers, they're not the best people for him to be in business with. So when he, when push comes to shove, he pushes and he hurts people that that um he really shouldn't have ever been working with to begin with. But those are the people that happen to be there, right? Him and his wife, they fell in love, they were together, whatever. That situation wasn't going to last over a long term, right? I guess if he wasn't successful, they would have lasted perhaps, but... You never know what would have went what went down with them if he had to live the rest of his life not being successful. Cause that's kind of all he ever wanted. She probably would have been unfulfilled and unhappy too, because he's always gone. She states in the film she feels neglected and stuff. So these are things to think about when you're out there and you're doing your thing. You have to decide what kind of life do you want to have, what kind of people do you want to have around you, and make sure that you always are being grateful for what you have and keeping those things in mind. And honoring those gifts, I believe that is really important, right? You have to know that when you're doing something, you're chasing something, that's fine. But if you have other things in your life that you appreciate, you got to make sure you don't sacrifice those things. And unfortunately, that's the tragic part of Ray Kroc's story, at least in the film. So now they're here, and they're having a scene where they are going to... Ray Kroc wants to do this thing where they move to, you know, um, basically it's like evaporated milk milkshakes... Because they're having a big issue across the board where he should be making a whole, whole bunch of money and he's actually about to lose everything again, right? So per, per, um, persistence, right? But you want to uh, persevere, again, being the theme of the film. He's again in another point where about an hour and 10 minutes into the film where he's still having these setbacks. And it's because it's really hard, it's, the, it's really expensive to refrigerate all the ice cream that McDonald's needs simply just to make milkshakes. You got to think like, they're making burgers, fries, and soda, and that has to be a bulk of their income, but they also sell milkshakes and have your whole business being gobbled up by refrigerator costs for just one item on your menu. It would almost make sense to just get rid of the milkshake, right? But he meets the business owner, and his wife um, has this idea to sell milkshakes using evaporated milk. It's a little pocket called like Instamix or something like that, a little packet. Um, so he goes to McDonald's Brothers. This 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 completely makes sense. It's a logical idea. It might be better even to get rid of milkshakes altogether, right? But this will help them still sell milkshakes, but lose all that refrigerator cost, not just for their restaurant, but for all the restaurants. It really benefits everybody. But the McDonald's Brothers, without even tasting the milkshake, is they're worried that you know for customers, it's the idea of them having. You know, not fresh milk. It's still milk, but not fresh milk. And a milkshake is just like blasphemy to them. It, they're not even willing to consider it or think about it logically. It's just like dogmatic at this point. It's like you have to have, you know, these milkshakes, regardless of what it means. And it has to be difficult. You know, I've been in situations like that. When you're working with people in business and they don't want to understand the business side of it, it's financially just not possible. They're going to go under... He's getting, you know, his uh, final notices on his bills. I think he's three months behind on, on his loan to the bank. The bank calls his house. His wife realizes he tried to mortgage the house, or he mortgaged the house basically to get more money. And um, it's it creates a horrible situation for him. And he meets someone by chance, I believe. Is it the scene? I think this is the scene. Well, anyway, he's going to meet someone by chance. He's going to help him again innovate, again figure out a way to make money. Which makes the Ray Kroc story even, for me, more uh, more I can appreciate Ray Kroc's character because 
there's not really people in the film that are coming to help him at all until very later on in the film he meets about I was gonna say two people. You got the the business owner who owns a nice restaurant and his wife, um, who are interested in innovating with the milkshake. And then there's another gentleman he meets who has him, you know, get, he brings in other investors himself. He shows Ray Kroc, you know, introduce him to some other investors and helps Ray Kroc create another business, basically. It's not McDonald's, technically. It's another kind of business near McDonald's. Um, and that helps Ray, again, survive when he should fail again. So, like, at the end of it, when he figures out all those things and takes all those opportunities and makes all those innovations... When he decides to get rid of all the people who weren't really there, weren't really helping him that way that he wanted to get helped, it makes sense to, that he had to do that, right? Or he felt like he needed to do that. He's, this creates a very bitter person, which I always say to people, if you're dealing with someone who's interested in business or has any kind of ideas, I always look at people who have ideas and I try to encourage them. I try to make sure that they know that I believe anyone can do anything they put their mind to, right? I never see the point. It costs me nothing to tell someone, oh, yes, you know, good job, or I, I love that you're trying hard and stuff. That doesn't, I don't sacrifice anything, and I wholeheartedly believe it, so it is not even a, a thing where I'm lying to a person or anything like that. But I never, I never understand when someone has an idea, when someone's pursuing something, and I see people around them, you know, openly um, disparaging them or putting them down or casting doubt, saying how unrealistic it is. That, there's no need for it. It does nothing. It doesn't build anything, right? And if that person goes and succeeds, those people that are close to them will be the same people that turn into basically what people would call haters, right? They get angry or they still want to highlight the negatives about that person in spite of their success, which is so tragic, right? Because they feel they have to defend their pride since they were so wrong about that person that was successful. But then I always think about like, yeah, but you never had to be wrong about that person. You never had to even form that kind of opinion on that person. You could have just encouraged them, right? As long as they're not hurting anyone and they're not basically, you know, doing anything that, again, costs you something, right? They're not taking from you. Why not give more positive energy into the world? However, that's maybe not realistic. That's not how the world works. Everyone's not like that. You know, and I try to be a realist. I don't try to look at just ideals. So I'm not hung up on that. It is what it is, whatever. But when Ray Kroc wins, I'm like, okay, well, that's what happened, right? Because even his wife's character is the character that I, I feel for the most because I do see there is many times she tries to help and she tries to support him. They do betray that in the movie. And ultimately, they he they honestly they grow apart because she really wants to be with him. But, you know, he decides to go with the business owner's wife. Let me pause the movie because Amazon will give me her name. Um, who is she? Oh, no, not give me her name in, in this scene. But um, is that Fred Turner? No, Fred Turner's not in the film yet. So <laughs> the Amazon shows me their names under under the uh, when I hit, whenever I hit pause. But it's not doing it for this scene when I wanted to actually do it. Whatever. So yeah, like he gets with the other girl because they are a more compatible mix. She has a business mindset. She has big ideas, and for what he's trying to do, they're 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 going to work together. At least how the film portrays them. So I would say for the, you know, Ray's real wife or his first wife in the film, you know, she was never going to be really happy. He was never going to fulfill them. And that's something you have to also understand. If you don't have someone in your life that's trying to be on the same wavelength with you, neither one of you are going to be happy. You have to figure out a person that's going to be able to support you the same way you support them and go back and forth. And as for your friends too, anyone around you, you know, it's that was one of the difficult things I had to learn when I was growing up. I had a lot of people I met when I was younger that were great people. 
And over time, you know, certain people are not the people that you want to do things with forever. You can still be friends. You might have to shift the the position uh, they have in your life. But not everyone can be everyone's everyone everything, right? Like you, you have to realize that okay, well, I can't do everything with this person. Perhaps we can, you know, play video games, or we can go to the movies together, or go to the bar. We like to do those things together, but we can't do everything together, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, and you both will be happier because being in a situation or trying to expect something from people when they don't want to do that is not fair to either person, really. So it's best to just, you know, you know, basically. Um, be agreeable and appreciate each other, and you can still hold on to those relationships, but you have to just change the position they have in your life to move forward. And that's what I think is the movie, at least how Ray goes about it. He's not really nice the way he asked for the divorce. He's very cold about it. Um, he does give her like the house and the car and all those things without fighting. But then he also cuts her out the business and makes you have no percentage of the business. Again, I think that is probably too far. You know, it was there would have been nothing for him to offer her some kind of stake in the business. This ends up being an extremely successful business. Um, but when once he has everyone on the ropes, he goes completely cutthroat. And I think that's going to change his legacy, which he's apparently not worried about his legacy at all. He says it in the film. He's not worried about the legacy. So here we are, pausing it here to check the time. An hour and 17 minutes into the film, this is when we meet the Fred Turner character. Fred Turner, again, is awesome because he is another younger ambitious kind of character and he sees opportunity and he goes and he asks for the yes so i love the film because again even throughout all the struggles they're constantly showing you innovation persistence people people taking advantage of opportunities and fred turner happens to be in the bank and he hears ray Kroc talking to the bank manager the, the loan officer or whatever and um about how he's not making any money and he the chases Ray Kroc out the bank, basically. He approaches him with confidence. He presents himself. Ray Kroc kind of wants to bash him away a little bit. He doesn't He doesn't eat that, right? He just stays calm, and he just keeps talking to him about, I can help you. I have an idea for your business. Um, there's no reason you're not making a ton of money. There's something you're doing wrong, and I can help you fix it. And Ray Kroc at first is like, um, I don't believe you. Or like, why are you talking to me, basically? But he stays calm, and he stays professional. And that's going to lead to the innovation, the move that really makes McDonald's what it is. And that's so important because if he would have failed, if Ray Kroc's character would have failed at this point in the film, we never would have known McDonald's. It would have been gone once again, right? You have to remember at the beginning of the film, the McDonald's brothers explained they had about four or five other stores at one point and they all failed and they had to go back to having one McDonald's location and they didn't want a franchise ever again because they couldn't do it. Period, right? McDonald's is never going to happen without Ray Kroc and, of course, Fred Turner. When he meets Fred Turner, they get together and they figure out what they're explaining right here. So Fred Turner is explaining to him, and I didn't know this about McDonald's, but McDonald's is a real estate company. And the innovation that Fred Turner presents is instead of having people purchase a McDonald's franchise like agreement and they get to go out and pick where the restaurant is, they basically pay some other company, whoever owns the land, they lease the land from that company. They build their McDonald's and then they're paying like franchise fees to the McDonald's brothers. Um, he's saying, okay, well, what you should do then is you should buy the land and in the terms of the agreement, because he is head of franchising, right? He gets to set up how the franchises are set up. That if someone buys a franchise license, they also can only lease land from you at the location you said that they're going to lease land from, right? 
and Ray's in a new position now. They, the McDonald's brand has about, I think in this point of story, about 17 stores. And people are coming to him wanting to open McDonald's, right? So he can kind of decide more in the deal. He has more leverage. So they decide, you know, to, Fred Turner helps him understand, we need to buy the land and then you can put, you know, the person on there making the McDonald's will be paying you rent every month at all the locations, basically. So you should never have this problem where you're only getting, you know, 1.4%, 1.5% of your franchise fees. You're also getting rent coming into you. And that's going to be a completely other business. So the McDonald brothers have no no say over it, basically. He's basically using the McDonald's franchising job that he has to work out a deal where they have to buy from his real estate company. Where he ends up calling like franchise real estate or something like that. So he owns that business. He's in charge of that business. And he gets to do whatever he wants with that. And it gives him all this new power, right? Because now people aren't doing what they need to do. Instead of them just losing the rights to the franchise and still having a location, he can cancel the lease because he owns that company that owns their lease. And then they'll have to lose their whole restaurant. So he really gets all the power there. And he's going to go back and do that to all the franchises, all the other um, all the other businesses that they own. And he's going to do it to the McDonald brothers. He's going to own their land, too. So they get to keep their restaurant, but now he, they're paying a lease to him. And that completely shifts the, the, the power there. What I also think is interesting is at this point in the film, he's almost bankrupt. He cannot get any more money. Fred Turner introduces him, because he knows this is going to be a great business move, introduces him to other investors. They're both able to convince those investors to give him the money he needs to buy the land that he's going to eventually lease out to these people. So this is a great example where Ray Kroc is now making even a bigger business move with no money, right? I think people don't understand this a lot when it comes to businesses. You don't have to have the money yourself, but you need to convince people with money. You need to find that clientele that what you have is a good idea and that they should invest in you. So obviously these guys are professionals. Fred Turner, this is what he does. He knows the right people. They're all together. They all get together. He's going around now and getting people to invest into the franchise realties, I think, um, what the name of the business is at this point in the story. And this is a great scene here because, again, people forget this about the Ray Kroc character. I'm not saying that everything he did is right, but I understand why he does this, and people don't think about what it was like to be in this position. They kind of glaze over everything that's happened to Ray Kroc so far in the film. I mean, this guy has been kicked. He's been not supported by the McDonald brothers. They've said no to all of his ideas. They're really trying to to keep things the way that they're doing things. And he's obviously going to create McDonald's, which we all know, right? So he's calling the brothers because they just got it. Or the brothers call him because they got to notice, right? That changes. the dynamic shift. Ray Kroc's been calling them all the time to talk about things. Sometimes he can't get a hold of them. Now they're calling him because they got a letter saying that Franchise Realty has bought the, the land that they're leasing to, and now they're going to be paying leasing pay, payments to this other company, right? Which is completely fine, right? That happens, right? But they see that Ray Kroc's the president of that company, and they're a bit surprised by that. So they're like, you can't do that. That's not in your, you're not allowed to, to do that with our business. You're not, you're not in charge of our business. And he reveals to them, well, it's a separate business. It's a whole new business that I built, and... That's I'm, I happen to also be buying real estate, something else that I do now. And they don't have control over that. And that's when they realize that they've, they've basically got the checkmate is coming. They got into a, a situation with someone they didn't fully understand. They didn't realize this was going to happen. 
You know, and Ray Kroc didn't even have this idea. Again, Fred Turner's character is really important because he helps him innovate in this kind of way. And then Ray goes all the way. Now when he has the upper hand, he steps on everyone else. So that's why when I see the film, for me, I understand the character. I wouldn't have done that myself. I don't think that's the way that you should do things. But it's a shame, honestly, the way that he had to build the whole thing with such resistance. But it helps for a good story, too, because it, it illustrates the idea of always being persistent. And I think that's the, the, the heart of the film. So now that he has this power inside the McDonald's company, he tells everyone, we're going to go with the Instant Mix milkshakes. And it's going to cut down costs. Everyone's going to make more money. McDonald brothers aren't going to approve that change, but they are aware that if they don't do what he wants to do, they're going to, he's going to take the lease from them and they're going to lose their whole entire location. So now it's that's checkmate. And they're all there. Everyone who is supporting him at this point, his, uh, his secretary, um, the Fred Turner character, they're all there with him in the office when he has the phone call with the McDonald's brothers. You can see that they all love it, right? They're, he's not hurting those people. Those people are in business with him, and they are supporting him. But it took him a long time to get that inner circle going on. Now, at this point in the film, he gets this like, nighttime phone call from the wife of the other business owner. I'm, come on, Amazon, give me a name here so I can work with this here. Joan Smith, finally. So the Joan Smith character, um, that's the wife of the other business owner. That's not his wife. Uh, his wife is Ethel. Um, he's like taking this late night phone call where he's discussing business with her and she's obviously interested in him and all the success that he's having and he's interested in her and her big ideas. And this, I think, really hurts anyone who's watching a film. No one's going to root for a character that's not loyal to their wife or their significant other in the film. It's, it's something that hurts the film. But this is one of those movies where this is a movie about real life. So when you're trying to show a film, you can't when it comes to real life stories, you can't like paint like a happy ending if it wasn't a happy ending. You have to show that real pain, which I think also creates an interesting film because that is a human experience here, right? These things happen, um, but it's going to make it so people aren't as happy with the film. The pursuit of happiness, in contrast, that movie ends with a very happy feeling. But my understanding is it changes some things that actually happen in real life, which I think helps make it a a more powerful movie, perhaps maybe a more successful or beloved movie because there's so much you know, happiness towards the end of the film. They leave out a lot of the real-life details. And that's a decision that they made artistically. And I think um, another thing I think I like about Ray Kroc's character that we gets kind of overshadowed, I don't know if they have his name up here either when I bring it up. Um... Actually, Fred Turner, I see I'm mixing up the characters. Fred Turner, actually, the reason I like his character is he's not the guy who does the, the business move. That's Harry. Harry does the business move for him. Fred Turner is a cook from one of the from the first restaurant Ray Kroc owned. And you don't see this a lot in business either. But when they were working, Ray Kroc noticed that Fred Turner, um, he's like making burgers at the time, making fries, right? That he was a good worker and he was trying really hard. And he takes Fred Turner with him all the way. So I think Fred Turner becomes the actual first president of like the McDonald's that we know. When Ray Kroc assigns a president, it's actually Fred Turner who started off as just a cook and one of Ray's first restaurants. And unfortunately, you don't hear that story as much in business anymore about the person who's working at the bottom and they get to be the president of the company at some point. So again, in this room, 
when this decision is made, June is there. That's the secretary, Fred. Harry's there. Harry's the person who brought the business idea about getting the property. Ray Kroc has a team, and all these people support him, and they're in favor of, of what he's doing. They're all working really hard with Ray Kroc to make these things happen. So when the, bro- the McDonald's brothers, it, they get, you know, they're painted as the sadder character in the end when they all get a check for a million dollars, which, again, I don't have much sympathy for them when they did not want to make their business bigger and stuff like that. These are my opinions on the film, of course. It's my in-depth breakdown on the film and how I perceive the whole story. Um, but these other people do win because of Ray Kroc, and this is a happy ending for them. But they're not the main characters. They're all introduced throughout the film. So artistically, you're not going to root for them as the main characters. But in real life, if you look at the story, these are all people that became extremely successful. They all won because of Ray. So Ray doesn't step on everybody, but the film shows you that people that are holding him back, or at least not completely on board, like his wife's character isn't holding him back, but she's not completely on board. She does create a lot of hurdles for him earlier in the film. And then when it all shifts, no one's on board with him. To the last second, the McDonald brothers are resisting him. His wife, I think she just can't understand what it is she's dealt with. That's just gone on too far. But in either way, you know, I'm not only be overly sympathetic for Ray's character, but again, he does wrong things. But in this scene here, when he's having that conversation where, again, the McDonald's McDonald's brothers call him. There's a power shift there. And he's saying, hey, you can't can't, um, make everyone use the milkshakes. They realize other people are using the milkshakes, and that's outside of our agreement. And Ray's like, yeah, I don't care about our agreement anymore, basically. You can come and you can sue me. You can do whatever you want, but I'm going to drown you in court costs. I now have the backing of my real estate company. I have investors you're a small business, and you're not going to be able to compete with us business-wise. So he figures out a way to leverage the deal, violate his contract, and he just knows that just the simple math of it, he will beat them in court, or they won't be able to basically win the court case because he'll drag it out as long as he can while he's still making money with his other company, and their little business will just drown, right? They're going to lose everything that they, they have in this situation. And the other X factor here is one of the McDonald's brothers has diabetes, and when he gets too stressed out, he can't really handle um, the that, that, that stress. He actually had almost a, a near-death experience before they met Ray. They're so stressed about just having the five locations. So they were kind of worried about getting into business because of that aspect of it. So when Ray drops this bomb that he's created, basically, without them noticing, created this giant real estate company that has leverage over all the businesses um, it's checkmate. There's no way they can handle this anymore. They have to do what he says. Um, the, the one brother gets sick in this scene, and he has to go to the hospital, and he's about to die pretty much, or he's almost about to die. They, they tell him in the hospital, if you keep on with this amount of stress, you're going to die. Right after that scene, this is important artistically, right? Because when you're telling a story, you have to tell it in a consistent basis. He severs basically the relationship with the McDonald's brothers, and the next scene, he's sitting down with his wife, and he just tells her, I want a divorce. Again, very economic. There's not a big drawn-out thing. It's not. It's, they don't explain the divorce. He just comes out and says, I'm done. Right? And she's obviously devastated by it. But in the film, they don't spend a lot of time on it. So if there's anything amical about it or whatever, you don't know. You don't get to see that. Um, and he's going to explain in a scene, I think, right after this or very soon to this, that he's going to give her everything that they have. I think she gets the insurance. She gets the house. She gets the car. But he's like, yeah, the only thing she can't have is my business or any parts of my business. And that, I think, is a little unfair because she did so show times where she was trying to support him. 
and help him find people and stuff. She wasn't always there. She's kind of half in, half out. Um, but there had been no real reason. I never would have seen a real reason to not offer her some stake in the business. Um, but he decides, no, for everyone that's around me, I'm completely destroying them because they weren't there for me, basically. And that's the decision he makes. So, again, not supporting that, not not looking at that, saying that's the right way to go about things. But this is what happens in the story. And they show it so, so well that... Again, when you get to this point, it's all happening at once, right? You, when you're telling us, when you're doing screenplay, or you're doing like a story for a movie, basically, you have to make sure that all your points are driven home at the time they're driven home. And I think the film ends with a you get to decide how you look at this kind of film. And I like that. I do like that it has a decisive nature to it. That's what's interesting about this film. Wolf of Wall Street, I think it's pretty clear that that's a character you're not supposed to really root for at the end because he did so many bad things along the way. That movie is more about the bad things that he did, less about the business moves. Um, it's kind of obvious that he's good at business, Wolf of Wall Street, and that's what it is. Pursuit of Happiness does have the happy ending, but then if you look it up, you find that that, that story wasn't maybe as happy as they pursued, uh, presented it in the film. So you have three different kind of movies. You have a really happy one, a negative one, and then this one where it's kind of like you get to decide how you feel about everything that happened in this film. So those are like kind of like three key business films I can think of that um, I like to watch sometimes. And now this is just this is just getting cold at this point, right? He sends them a letter. He sends the McDonald brothers a letter with the Insta Mix, saying, "Hey, like they have a strawberry flavor. Maybe you'll like that one." Now again, he's just putting salt into the wound. He's trying to show them that I have complete control over this. There's nothing that they can do. And then <laughs> the last thing. This is the second part I was talking about earlier. He had this McDonald's store that he started calling McDonald's Number One to make people think that he was the first McDonald's. Then in the letterhead for the McDonald's Corporation, right, he changes franchise realty once he has the upper hand into something called the McDonald's Corporation. So it's a different business name than McDonald's, but it now appears if that is the whole business. And they, they know that he knows that. And the one brother is getting very upset at this point because he's he's taken everything from them. He's even took like the arches and incorporated that into the logo. And it kind of looks a little different, but not really. So he's he's really upset. And Ray at this point starts giving you his philosophy at this point. Business is war. It's dog eat dog. Um, you know, you're just some nice guy, basically. And I'll do anything to win. And that's where it goes too far. That's the sad point, I think, about business. When like I like the book, The 48 Laws of Power. That book tells you a lot of stories. It's not saying you have to be a certain way, but a lot of stories are themed around these real cutthroat ideas of business. And a lot of people in top business will say that's what you have to do. But I like to believe there's lots of other places in the middle. You don't have to be the bottom business. You don't have to be the top business. And I do think there's a very strong market for people who are showing gratitude to people, who are showing compassion to people. I think you can make money and be successful that way too. Um, if you maybe cut everyone's throat, perhaps you can make a few more million. I don't think that's the way that you have to always go. I would like to believe there's other ways you can do it. There are other examples. I can think of different business people that do it that way. Um, are those people the biggest companies in the world? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think that was something that I could say realistically. However, again, you have to decide what do you want to do, right? So I think people who get turned off by the idea of some business practices, you don't throw away the whole concept of business. You just need to understand what it is you're willing to do. So like he doesn't have to you know, use the McDonald arches. He doesn't have to make everyone think that he's the founder. And that's where, this is the part of the film we start to realize that he's not the founder of McDonald's. And the movie's called The Founder, and he's on the cover. 
And that's kind of the whole point. Again, artistically, I think it's really well executed. Where you start thinking, I came to see the movie about the guy who builds McDonald's. And over the course, you realize that Ray Kroc isn't really the guy who built McDonald's. He, he helped transform it into what it is. But the way he's remembered, at least how it's presented, is he's, he's the founder of McDonald's when he's not. These two other guys, they get the whole idea kind of swept out from underneath of them. Um, but again, they didn't want to ever be a franchise. They just wanted to be one location. They both get a million dollars at the end of the film after taxes. Um, so, yeah, they, they also don't get their royalties, which is another messed up thing that happens. Those are the two, the two fatal flaws for Ray Kroc's character. Not giving the McDonald's brothers any level of royalties, right? Because he, he tries to convince them he's going to give them royalties out of pocket. Um, and then not giving his wife any point in the business. This business goes on to make, I think it's something at $700 million a year towards the end of the film, which he's not getting that $700 million. He has investors, other people that's there. I'm sure he's getting a very large quantity of that $700 million. And to keep those other people financially in there, when he opens up the other McDonald's restaurant to close, the, to crush the other restaurant, uh, it just gets it just gets bloody at the end of it, and that's too far. He shows up in in this scene here to the hospital bed of one of the McDonald's brothers, and he offers him a blank check, basically saying, "Hey, name your price." And me, basically, me and my investors, he kind of makes it seem like it's him, but it's always him and his investors. They'll they'll offer them whatever money to buy them out because they're just they're just slowing things down at this point, and they're making money hand over fist, owning the real estate for all these other locations. And any investor in this situation, they can see the writing on the wall. This is only going one direction. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. They're all in, and they want the McDonald brothers out. So the McDonald brothers, one of them is in, in the hospital, right? And, you know, this is something that happens in real life, too. When you're going and you're planning things out, there are other aspects that go beyond the business, right? Again, your health, your family, your, your, um, your peace of mind, right? That work-life balance that people often don't look at. You have to understand how you want to also live your life. When you're building a business, if you take on too much, you try to do too many things, you try to expand too fast, and you don't want to do this, you're human. You can get tired. You can get stressed. You can get sick from stress. So they end up in a situation where really at the very beginning, if they knew they didn't want to do any of this stuff, they should have never done it. They never should let him try to franchise and make a big company. The one brother says it's his idea to kind of make this whole thing. But he wants to do it with just these wholesome values and, and not doing anything to compromise anything. And that's not realistic. So when his other brother encourages him to, you know, go ahead and do this, they're, they're getting into something they don't want to get into. And it costs them, you know, their, their health and their peace of mind. At the end, they get to keep their McDonald's location. They get both a million dollars, basically. But it's not the ending that they would have wanted. But I think at that point, too... I think at that point, too, that they um, they don't show in the film or they don't offer you a perspective. Again, they let you make the decision that these characters aren't, in my mind, sympathetic characters. They're characters that at the end are kind of like, oh, man, you now have $700 million a year about to come in or whatever, and I want some of that, too. But they didn't want to do anything to build that, right? they just thinking, I had the initial idea, so now I deserve everything that comes with that. And people put a lot of value in the idea, but the film in these little montages show all the work Ray had to do, all the people he had to go to to invest in the initial franchises. Then again, with um, with Harry's character, the people they had to go to to invest in the real estate company, all this outfoxing, he's traveling all over the country building these franchises. 
The other two guys are just working at their restaurant. Every day they're waking up, working at one restaurant, and that's what they're doing. They're not changing anything. They're not even saying yes to any of the ideas he presents them. They're not presenting any new ideas. They're not helping him in any kind of way. And when they get to the point where they sit down and they're at the scene now where he's going to them with the contract, they both ask for a million dollars, actually $1.3 million, but they know that's like a million dollars after taxes. They're factoring that into the deal. That's... He's, they, they want these royalties, and the investor's like, no, we're not going to be paying these guys money forever, basically. Or at least that's what he tells them. We're not going to be paying you guys this money forever. Um, they don't think you deserve it, right? They don't want to have to share this money with these guys who didn't build all these things based off this original idea. Basically, we're giving you $2 million for this idea. And for them, in their lifetime, after a few years of letting this guy go out and do this stuff with the company, they bring $2 million in for their idea. And that's it. A lot of times I hear a lot of artists deal with this, especially when it comes to screenwriting or anytime you're doing things artistically, where you want to create an idea, you have a concept and an idea, and they overvalue it to the point where they cannot maneuver. And that's why I try to you know, show the connections between art and business. If you have an idea, that's great. If you create that idea and you put it out there into the world, that's awesome. But based on how far you want to go with business... Yeah, so basically, they didn't want to you know, do all the work that went into that, right? A lot of times with artists, you know, is I had this idea, but do you want to get up every day and build this into a giant franchise? No, I want to sit there because I have an idea and I want everyone else to do the work and build a franchise. And I want you guys to send me all the millions of dollars because I'm a genius and I had that initial idea. But to make that business happen, every single decision has to work, right? All those businesses that we now know, we had to figure out all those problems. Like he had to do the whole film. So without that, your idea ends up being something just on paper or something that's just the initial creation. It doesn't get to become the business. If you don't want to play along, you don't get to have that. There's a lot of great artistic businessmen who've done both. Spielberg's a guy I can think of. He does both. Lu Lucas does both, right? They're both probably the first examples to come to mind of people that are artistic but have also made great business decisions and have worked on both sides of the fence to build everything that they have. And I think those are why they're some of the biggest names as directors or maybe even writers, not so much because of simply they're the most perfect artist ever. They do a lot on the business side that people don't talk about so much and don't highlight. And if you're out there thinking you're going to be one of those guys, you're emulating them, you have to acknowledge all the work they do. We can't just look at the side of the story that we like. If you don't want to do the business side of it, that's also fine. It's best at that point to just, you know, find someone to work with. And then when they cut you a check and you get your piece of it, be happy with your piece. The McDonald brothers in the film are portrayed as not being happy with their piece. They're portrayed as at the end of it when he's when Ray is going out and build all this other stuff that they had no interest in, that they feel like they should have even more of that. Because, again, the initial idea. And I think things could have went differently for them. But in any business situation, when you look back, you always could say, Oh, well, it could have been like this or it could have been like that. The reality of it is it wasn't like that, right? So, when I, again, I have to emphasize over and over again because it's not my brand. The Ray Kroc character is not my brand. I like the film because it illustrates persistence. I like the film because it illustrates innovation. At the end of the film, I think it is tragic how, how cutthroat he is with all these people. I personally don't think there's any need to go as far as he went. Um, but there's something that was, I guess, wrong with his character and who he was as a person where he wanted to be perceived as the winner. When so many people perceived him as the loser, it made him a bitter character. So at the end, he wanted to be perceived as the founder and as a really, really great person. He did great things, but he wanted to be the greatest, right? 
to show them um, that, you know, I'm not the the person that's so, so down, so broken, carrying those multi-mixtures to my car, constantly being rejected, constantly being ridiculed by my friends and everyone around me. He goes the whole other way. And to me, that's the cautionary tale of this, right? So I think when sometimes I talk to people and I explain how much I like the founder, they're thinking, oh, man, like that's that's bad. That's like a poisonous film, right? You shouldn't do what that guy did. No, I think you have to learn everything from the story. So you can like the character and not like him. That's fine. You can do what he wants to do in business or not do it. That's fine. But I believe that you can also pick and choose the things that work and don't work for you. At the point where he starts, you know, cutting everybody's throat, he already has a successful business. He didn't build the business by cutting throats. He actually built the business constantly being behind the people that weren't 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 trying weren't trying to support him, basically. Now, at this point in the film, they're showing you artistically. You know, he's going to go meet the president. He's telling this story, which is a lie, about how he's, you know, built the whole thing and how it was his idea and everything. Because he's already bought out the brothers, so there's no one else to dispute this. At this time, there's no, like, Twitter or anything for them to go, on, them to go online and try to, you know, bring attention to what they did. Um, he's completely altering history because he's the person in control. He opens up another McDonald's, a big, beautiful McDonald's right across the street from the um the first McDonald's restaurant, the actual first McDonald's restaurant that the McDonald's brothers have now. And it's called the Big M. He took the name so they can't use McDonald's anymore. He bought the name, mind you, right? And that's like, it's like salt in the wound where now he's coming back to destroy them. Um, and I don't think that's necessary, right? They could have had their restaurant, but he is literally erasing them from like history at this point because people who want to buy burgers in that town, they're going to go to McDonald's. It's the national brand. It's all this advertising. The big M, this, now they're going to start looking like the knockoff, right? They're going to like the place that you shouldn't go. And um, even the whole restaurant looks different. It doesn't have the name McDonald's. And they explained that in one scene I didn't touch on. Um, is that, you know, he explains that he thought what made McDonald's so great, why he didn't just steal the name, was because McDonald's had a great name. It was a very, it was very like generic name kind of where you can kind of picture anything, like when you, when you think about it. But he also thought it had like a real American name too, right? Like McDonald, right? I feel like old McDonald had a farm, factors into that in some kind of way, right? Where it's just this wholesome idea of like hard work and I guess family. He, he you know, he goes on to say all these things that he thinks about the name McDonald's. So it's it's the McDonald's brothers' last name, and they're like, you know, you don't you don't own that name. It's not your name. It's my name. And he's like, ah, I don't think so. Actually, I think now I own that name, and that's it. And then in this scene too, where he's preparing his speech, you realize that he is officially with the the guy's wife. He's with um, I think it's Joan Smith, right? I don't have all their names in my head, but he's with Joan Smith, um, and he's left his wife completely, and now he's in his other side of the the, the fence. Artistically, the movie ends showing him kind of just here in this moment. And I think that's one of those films where, again, it leaves you open to decide. You know, if he has a moment of doubt, if he has anything, which I don't believe his character does, um, you get to experience that scene. He's by himself. He's looking at himself in the mirror, which, again, is a great metaphor for what people have to do after they make those decisions, right? He's just there with himself. He has to decide what, what it is for him. And really for the viewer, artistically, it's a chance for you to decide what it is for you. So that's my breakdown of The Founder. Again, I think it's a movie you can learn a lot from. It's a movie you can learn what to do, what not to do. You can see a good example of things that happen socially in this person's life, also things that happen in business. There's lots of examples of persistence, how if you keep going, obviously great success can happen to you. 
um, and also how you have to innovate along the way because it's not enough, right? You can't just just uh, push through everything. You have to come up with new ideas. You're going to be presented with people that you have to work with or that you can work with, I guess you'd say, to figure out those problems. And if you're open to it, being open, saying yes, the McDonald's brothers do not say yes a lot of the times. There's a lot of good ideas. They throw a little end credit scene that even explains eventually they added real milk back to the milkshakes, right? When McDonald's had more money and better revenue stream, they could afford to do that. They could afford to bring that piece of quality back to their food. So that's not having foresight in the McDonald's brothers' part. They're not realizing if you save more money now, perhaps you can build even faster. They, they stay in the film. They're, they're happy with the current rate of expansion and everything. Um, but if you build faster, that at one point will have some, enough money that you can eventually bring that back, right? So sometimes you have to compromise an idea or do something you don't want to do. That doesn't mean it's done forever. It means it's right now that's something you can't do. Perhaps you can come back and do that later, right? But yeah, you have to be forward-thinking and realize that every decision that you don't absolutely love may not be the end of something. It may be something that you have to you know, change the way you go about it. And now at the end of it, they show all the things that happened um, and all the things that you know these characters did. So... I love the film. Again, I'm, not, I'm saying I love the character a lot. I can't just say that enough, right? I'm, I'm just not saying that, Um, you know, people, when you look at films, what I try to talk about is perspective. On my podcast, well, that's what Samuel Rye is about the most. You have to look at situations and realize you can learn from people. You can learn from them without agreeing with everything they do. You can take the things that work that you can incorporate and let go of the things that you don't want to do. That's the beautiful thing about life and about another person's story is that you can listen to that story, and if you have, I guess what you would call discernment, right, when you're listening and having judgment and saying, okay, I think I want this, but I don't want that. I see where they did this here. Perhaps I could do that there. It offers you a blueprint, not to copy, but to understand and to go in a direction that you want to go, that you want to follow. Um, you know, touching on The Wolf of Wall Street, which I will do, I don't know if I'll do that one next, but that one or Pursuit of Happiness I'm going to do next. The Wolf of Wall Street's a film that's full of debauchery and a bad decisions, which I'm not about. Um, I, I like that film because, how again, how he moves forward. And he has a lot of um, bad things thrown at him, but he also innovates and he creates this madness. It's, his company is just so insane, the way they go ahead and they build it. Um, and that's a really funny film to me in that way. I definitely don't agree with all the things that he did. But I think when you're out there and you need that oomph, that energy, you can get that from The Wolf of Wall Street. And Pursuit of Happiness is a movie that's full of so much love. It's full of so much uh, happiness is really what they're trying to get to you by making that character have very little happiness throughout the film. And it makes that last moment, which you get to leave as an audience with, such a powerful, happy moment. Again, well-executed film. So those are the three films I want to do next. Thank you so much if you happen to listen to this. And again, this is a resource for me. This is my medicine. I'm going to put this on sometimes. I might skip around to different parts of the, the podcast or the, the commentary, whatever you call this. And it's going to help me when I'm down and out remember some of the key takeaways I got from this film. And when I, when I can, I'll sit down and watch the film because the film is amazing. I love watching the film. But when I'm out there on the road or when I'm out there away from my, my home where I can't get to my things, sometimes I can just have a little headphones on and listen to my breakdown of the film and remember those key concepts and what they mean to me. Perhaps they mean different things to you. Go ahead and comment. Reach out to me if you want to. But again, thank you so much for joining me for this and listening to this if you happen to get through all two hours. Hopefully this serves you and it's something that you'll be able to use throughout the years like I use. If you're out there in the world, you can look up that podcast, Samurai. You can go to this episode of this film or any other films that break down in the future. 
And hopefully there's something here that provides you value. That's what I want to give into the world. That's my thing I want to do outside of being successful in business and being artistic is I want to leave the world with more better energy, with more positive things, basically. So thank you so much again. I'm Sammy Rye. Peace.